a Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show presented by Maxis Tires and Alpine Stars Protects on RacerXOnline.com. your continued support of our sponsors we have surpassed 1,000 podcasts delivered with over 7 million downloads click that amazon banner on pole mx to help us out and donate via patreon if it suits you and as always enrich your moto lifestyle by working with the sponsors who support us Original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome, everybody, to the Fly Racing Racer X Podcast. I'm Steve Mathis. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Thank you to folks at Fly Racing for making this podcast happen, from the FR5 boot to the new Evo gear to the Formula helmet. Uh, Fly Racing's got you covered head to toe. They got a new goggle as well that came out last year. That's a very, very high-end goggle. So whatever it is, uh, whether you're blasting a UTV, riding your dirt bike, uh, riding your quad, whatever it is, or if you have, a say, an old big red three-wheeler that you like riding, which is weird, but if you have one and you like it, that's fine. Fly Racing will have you covered. Flyracing.com. Go to your local dealer. Demand to see the new 2020 gear. Of course, we just saw the uh, light hydrogen LE Come out of the Monster Energy Cup, Coral, it's called. And uh, you can get that now, too, depending on uh, when you're listening to this and, and if it's still in stock. So thanks to the folks at Fly Racing for making this happen. Uh, presented by Alpine Stars and Max's Tires. Alpine Stars, Tech 10, the most advanced boot in motocross today, the A4 chest protector, the A1. Uh, I wear the Tech 7s myself. they got the Bionic neck support system. You know the name. You know the uh, the quality of stuff that Alpine Stars puts out. I went to the factory in Italy all those years ago, and it was great, man. Uh, absolutely uh, really cool to see that. So thanks to Alpine Stars and Maxxis Tires. AJ Catanzaro using Maxxis to qualify for some Supercross mains this past year. The MXST tire was developed by Jeremy McGrath. He's using Maxxis now whenever he rides his KX500 or his KX250 or his KX450, whatever it is. MC helped develop the Maxxis tires and uh, great mountain bike tires as well. Their minion line of mountain bike tires work fantastic. So thanks to the folks at Maxxis. Alpine Stars and, of course, Fly Racing for making this happen. We are trying something new with this podcast. It's the off-season. Um, going to turn the tables a little bit here, and uh, I'm going to be the subject of the podcast, which is weird. But um, we'll we'll make it work somehow. Uh, with me to uh, to get some questions answered and maybe to help you people uh, in, know a little bit more about me, although I think I've talked about everything possibly I could possibly talk about. Uh, he works at Fly Race and WPS. It's Chris Cooksey. What's up, Cooksey? What up? Yeah, so I figured I'd come in here. and, and what's, uh, what's your what, what's going on here? What's your agenda? What are we doing? If you let me talk, I'll go yep. ahead. <laughs> I'm, I'm the host here, so just chill. Let me answer some okay. questions. So I listen to the show all the time. Big time fan, just like a lot of the guys I drive around. All, all the WPS reps, we all listen to the show. You hear all these jokes. There's these pieces. There's these titles. There's this mechanic. But there's not like a set timeline on on who Steve Mathis is. There's pieces all over, and we can kind of put it together, right? but not really. And it's grown, and your audience has grown so much. So I figured I'd come in here and, I, and, I, and see if I can take the king of all moto media, and you have grown, you know, you might not be the most powerful man in the industry, but you're definitely the most influential. I don't know about that, but No, absolutely, but I dude. I, it. I yeah. see it. I, I work in the industry. I go around, and I know 
everybody listens to your stuff. And whether, you know, just because you're not signing checks or working at Feld or very high up like that, trust me, those people Coombs are- could probably put cement shoes on me tomorrow. Dude, he could, put, he could probably put some issues on a lot of people. When Coombs talks, I get nervous. Um, so no, anyway. I hear what you did. Now, I was telling you when you ran this idea behind me, by me, I said, hey, I did one of these. But it was a long time ago. And it was pretty, it was really good. It covered a lot of your stuff. Yeah. But it's been a while. And I, 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 have, six, I have different questions six, that I want to Five or six years old. Yeah, and I have yeah. different questions. And okay. I hope you're not pissed at some of the stuff I want to ask. But I want to know more. Right. Don't want to talk about you and your brother and your dad and, and yeah. how how because oh what, what first off what what about what, Debbie? This oh, Debbie? she's in there okay. absolutely, right. okay. dude. I love. Right. By the way, I love Debbie. I've right. sat with her at the Supercross and right. I felt like I had to pay for that mm-hmm. ticket. It was awesome. She's she's one of my and I actually want to go golfing with her, but she yep. never hit me up. Yeah, so. she'll, she'll please take her golfing because I hate it. I will. Uh, okay, so as a youth, All right. so you're, this, uh, is, this is this is the Steve Mathis interview on the Steve Mathis show on RacerX Online. If he would let me talk, I would. No, I'm just. I'm, the I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm setting the table. Um. All right. So. Yeah, well, for people who want to know, so yeah, hopefully they like this, and and you know we'll see where we're going. But let's 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 try this. What what do we got? Let's start. Okay, I'm going to yep. start with youth. So what, what what was your first bike? How did you get in? What made what made Steve Mathis want to ride a dirt bike? I didn't. I didn't want to ride a dirt bike at first. My brother did. My brother's three years older than I am, and he my dad raced. Sorry, my dad rode a like a on off road bike or something, and he rode a street bike. And my brother grew up wanting a dirt bike really bad. And at some point, my brother got a dirt bike, and they were out riding. I don't think they were racing yet. I don't think he was racing before me, but maybe. Maybe he was. But um, then it came time for me. What year are we talking? uh, Oh. Do you remember what his bike was? I don't remember what his bike was. My first bike, yeah, well, my my first bike was his hand-me-down. So it would have been an Indian trail bike, Indian Ooh. automatic. I think they're automatic. I think they were like a three-speed auto. Were they three-speed? Okay. I believe so. Um, so I had an Indian, and it was, that came from my brother. That was my very first bike, and I quickly moved on to an RM50 from there. This is the early 80s. So this is 81, 82. I had one of those, 83. Dude. That yeah. was my second bike. Right. Um, but I re- I remember I wanted to BMX. I wanted to be Connor Fields. Um, so I BMXed. I rode... For a little while, for a little bit, I remember, I don't think I really liked it. I specifically remember getting on that Indian one of the first times, going wide open with it into a tree. That's like a family story, you know what I mean? Like a family, yeah. like, like people will be like, oh, I remember that. So I, well, if I remember correctly, when you, when you hit the shifter on those, you shifted down to go up. So we'd hit a bump, yeah, you'd maybe. go faster. Right, right, maybe. Yeah. I don't remember. But I hit a tree, cried, didn't want to ride dirt bikes, and barely rode for maybe a year or two and raced BMX. My mom took me BMXing. Uh, they were held in these little hockey arenas on cement with wooden jumps and we had some dirt tracks too and stuff and all that. And then, so I BMX for a while. And then at some point, my brother and my dad were off over here racing. And then at some point, uh, I decided I wanted a dirt bike ride. Race. So in, in Canada, how many months out of the year did you actually get to ride? And so they're off racing and yeah, I think I was BMXing. Yeah. So for, but, for a summer anyways. Well, yeah, but the, the indoor stuff that had to be in the winter. And then, so they're riding, they're riding dirt bikes during the summer then. And you're, what were you doing the summer? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I was, uh, maybe it was in the, I feel like BMXing was in the summer. No, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. I don't Canada. know. Yeah. Who knows? Um, so, but, but I, I remember like not really getting the bug to ride dirt bikes as much as my brother. My brother was always like, Hey, I want to do it. You know, my dad was taking them places and I was like, eh, on the dirt bikes. I wasn't all in. I liked BMXing, but then at some point, you know, obviously. Yeah. So at what, at what point do you become a dirt bike rider? 
What age? Yeah, uh, so, uh, this is all around seven, eight, you, nine years old. Remember? Yeah. Do you remember your first race? No, no. Really? No, no, no idea. Nope. Do you? What's the first race you remember? <sighs> That's a good question. Probably the, so. Yeah. See. Okay. I think I went from the eighty-two RM fifty to the an eighty-two RM eighty. And that's that photo on that desk there you can see behind those hats. That's me on the 82 RM80. And I think that's 83. So I'm nine years old, eight or nine years old in that photo. And, and that's, so that's, a, that's one of my first race. So that's, that bike, I don't know about my first race, quote unquote, but the first memory that you asked, first memory of racing is that 82 RM80. Uh, in the, so 80 class in Canada is called Schoolboy. Just, hmm. just, just go with it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. schoolboy is 80 class. <laughs> so the schoolboy A and B. So I was schoolboy B, beginner, you know, and then A was the answer. And my brother was an A. So your brother's kind of the star. Now, is your dad, how, how into it is your dad? Is he all into it? Like your, your brother's a star. You just happen to be there. How, yeah. What's yeah. The... Um, dad was gnarly. And we'll probably get more as we go along this story. We'll talk more about my dad. But he was gnarly. At this point, though, like RM80 days and my brother days, not really, just as a family going out on a three-rail trailer to the races. I definitely remember – I definitely remember – so that was 83. I got an 84 YZ80, I think an 85. So the 84, that had the water cooler, yeah, it was water on, cooler. on the handlebars? No, no, it was on the one side. First, oh, the first one that went to the side. Maybe, maybe. And I remember I had Garnet nylon boots. I used to make boots out of nylon. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, so I had a pair of Garnets, and they were so hammered – on the inside by my Kickstarter. And I remember being stuck at a mud race on the side of a hill and I couldn't start my bike and my foot would slip off and the Kickstarter would hit my foot. And I was crying and my dad was 30 feet away and he's like, start the bike. Like, I'm not coming to get you. And I remember being like, oh my God, this hurts so bad. My foot hurts so bad. And so between the like one or two races on the RM80, and then that 84 race, that's that's my earliest memories of racing. So had it been up to you right then, you probably would have just bailed out, BMXed your brother. If your brother wasn't dragging you and, and keeping you in the races, is that what kept no, you going? No, I think I was into it. I was into it, yeah. I, I mean, he was he was good. My brother was pretty good. He got, like I say, he was three years older than I am. So I'm 10, he's 13, 14, I'm 11, 10 or 11. And he's running top five in like the 80 expert class or top three or whatever. Like he's pretty good. So okay. I think I think like all brothers, you're like, oh, look at that, you know, I want to yep. be as good as him. So at what point do you start becoming pretty good and taking it serious? Eighty, yeah, eighty-seven. I get a CR eighty in eighty-seven. So I was current now for the first time I think in my life. Those were good too. Yeah, those were good. And then I, I had one of those too. Yeah, eighty-seven CR eighty, and then the, my, I remember the whole starting line was full of Hondas. Yeah, like that, just all Hondas, right? If you had anything else back then, you were at a disadvantage. Cowies were okay. Dude, the Yamahas were Suzuki's turds. were garbage. Yamahas were garbage. So it was all Hondas. Uh, eighty-seven, I start being like, hey, and I got all new JT gear that year. And I was fucking looking like David Bailey, and I was like, I'm sweet. I'm sweet. I look sweet. My bike's sweet. Now I started trying. Now I start. I remember thinking like. Hey, I'm going to go for the championship in the A class that year. And I got third or fourth in 87. As a 12-year-old. Against probably, you're probably going 13, against. 13, yeah. Yeah, you, yeah. yeah you're yeah, going, going against, against older kids. Well, yeah, but there was one kid who was my age who beat me. So, and he would end up being my, like, my rival guy. But, but um, yeah, I remember thinking like in 87, I was like, hey, 
like reading the motocross action magazines and being like, I want to do this. You know, my brother was now, he was intermediate. He was B rider, I think by then. Uh, so he was kind of progressing a little bit. He won, he won the novice cause everybody has to go to novice in Canada. Like no matter how good you are, you have to go eighties to novice to intermediate to pro. Huh. You can't skip it, which is funny. Cause I tell people like, you know, I have four championships in Manitoba all the time. And two of them are in novice class. It was like, what? doesn't matter. You just, that's, everyone had to go there. Yeah, see, 80 expert in the United States, we went 80 expert to 125 intermediate. You never yeah, went back no, to no, novice. No. You go all the way back to novice? Yeah, you just, that's, everybody just does that. You just Ugh. never jumped it. Nobody could jump the intermediate. Canadians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it gave you, it gave you at least um, a couple years on the big bikes until you had to go, go pro. Because you could go 80 expert, one year of novice, one year of intermediate, pro. You know what I mean? That's actually probably a really good yeah, idea. Yeah, so you, you had two years of quote-unquote amateur stuff to do. Um, but anyways, my brother had won the novice class in the 250 class novice, so he had gotten a title. And then 86, he moved up to intermediate. In 87, he was intermediate still, I think. Uh, yeah, 87, he was still intermediate. So I was 80 expert in 87. Okay. Going for it. Did you win the 80 expert class? No. Never won that one? No. No. 88, switched to Cowies. Got a Kawasaki support ride from Canada, which meant that the dealership got the ability to give one rider half off a bike from Kawasaki, I think it was. Yep. So I they, they picked me. So in 88, I had two KX80s, a practice bike and a race bike, and then I, and then, uh, I went after the 80 Expert Championship, and that's the one I lost by two points. Oh, uh, heartbreaker. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Could have had a fifth Manitoba title. Coaching. So now... In in the United States, when we when you got a team green ride, you had to go to a certain amount of amateur nationals. Were you required to do that? No, no. We we have the one. We have the Canadian Loretta back then. The Canadian Loretta Lens was one one race a year that was over a weekend, and it was at different tracks all every year. So in '87, it was in Manitoba, my home province, and I got like eleventh. My buddy Jason Fournette actually won the expert the eighty class that year. So I didn't know him. But in 87, he won the expert class. I got 11th or 12th. And then 10 years later, we'd be in a box van together driving the pro circuit, like <laughs> driving the whole circuit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, pretty funny. That's really cool. And then uh, 88, they were in BC on the West Coast, on the island. And I got – Danny Olvin was there. Do you remember a guy named Danny Olvin? I raced Danny Olvin. So yep, Danny he Olvin, was fast. Dude, Danny Olvin showed up. And had like we, 17 Cowies lined and up. And worked – all the Canadians. Like, he just worked them. And it's funny, again, I met Danny Olvin when I became a pro mechanic and became friends with him, and I just talked to Danny Olvin a year ago. So still, you know, anyways, good guy. So he shows up and he wins. It was a three-moto format like Loretta's, and I went 7-7-7 seven, seven, seven for seventh overall, which <laughs> which kind of, I'm like, I should at least got fifth overall with yeah, a 7-7-7, seven, 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 right? Off, right? But anyway, so, that, so then that was the Canadian, so I was number seven in Canada on 80s. The next year, it was in a sand track, and I got seventh overall again on 80s. Huh. This is 89. Yeah. But I was gi- I was a giant by then. I was huge. That's some of those videos. If pe- people want to watch that YouTube video of me on an 80 in Saskatchewan, have you ever seen that? It, no. It, oh, I can't remember. It, I'm racing Blair Morgan, and uh, I'm six feet tall. I'm this big. Anyway, so- Well, so that yeah. leads me to my next question. Yeah. When you were on those 80s, yeah. you, you said Fournette, Blair Morgan- who are yeah. some of the other guys that went on to actually have really good professional careers? Nobody would nobody would remember. Nobody? Just Blair, Blair Morgan, Jason Fournette. That's it? Okay. Pretty much, yeah. yeah well, Danny Olvin, he, was, he did some stuff. Yeah, but Olvin only his, raced... Until his brother passed away, and then he just quit. Oh, is that what happened? Yeah. Um, uh, he only raced... And, and Olvin Holshot, his first ever pro national at Washougal. Yep. Yep. Uh, but uh, anyways, um, 
yeah, nobody nobody that you would have heard of. But by 88, I have two 80s, practicing a race bike. My brother, has he quit by now? Yeah, so he's got to be yeah, hitting that mid-high school yeah, range. Yeah, he, he quits. Him and my dad have a huge blowout because my dad, you know, and to be fair to my dad, who is not always going to come off looking great on this podcast, my, he had put he invested quite a bit into my brother. Like they bought th- when he my brother turned pro, they bought three pro one twenty five two fifty five hundred Yamahas four ninety, and and like my brother was going and then he just girls and partying and no desire. He he got a I think he got a super jet Yamaha super jet stand yep. up stand yeah. up jet ski. Yeah, I remember this. And I think he just wanted to ride the jet ski more than he right wanted to race. So anyways, so my brother's results were going down the toilet. And my dad and him were fighting like all the time because my dad, I mean, invested a lot into him. So was your was your dad? Did you guys have? Because I know we had the dream of, hey, we're going to be a factory mechanic. And at that time, almost all the factory riders brought their dad as their mechanic, which yeah, was weird. Yeah. Did you guys kind of have that dream? Uh, I don't know about dream of my dad wrenching for me, but for sure, like we were, you know, was it his dream though? You think? Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. As much as a Canadian guy, you know, as much as money is, can be available in Canada back then, like. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, so, I mean, I was pretty good as a local rider in Manitoba, you know, but, I mean, as far as getting it, as far as going places, yeah, I don't know. So, uh, I went to 125s in 89. 89, I did, like, half of the 80s, and then I was so big, dude. I was blowing up foot pegs, blowing out a shock reservoir. I blew out a shock reservoir from landing. Wow. Um, So, my dad was like, okay, screw it. Now I was a 125 rider again, but I had to start a novice, of course, because we all we all did. Um, well, sometime in eighty, 80- I bet that made for a fast novice class. Yeah, yeah, no, it was all this just the eighty experts from the year before, right? Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was no big deal. And eventually, at some point, the Manitoba scene did a a novice and a novice B, so that you were really a beginner, <laughs> but you weren't you didn't ride eighty. Say you just yeah. were a farm guy and you want you had a 125, you yeah. rode novice B. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I think they were like saying, hey, this is... That's what I'm saying. That's not yeah, fair. Right. All these 80 experts go. And, yeah, 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 exactly. So we were like all mini riders, right? Yeah. Um, And then in... Eight, so yeah, in 80... Late 88, I got an 86 KX125 to start practicing on. And then uh, 89, I had two 80s. Kept them. Didn't get 89s because they weren't, weren't any different. And then we gave up those halfway through the year and I got, a 80, got, I got an 89 KX125, which was a piece of garbage. Yeah, the one side radiator when everyone else I sent it off to Pro Circuit. My dad sent it off to Pro Circuit. Cylinder head, pipe, silencer, seat cover, jersey. It was like a package deal. Oh, yeah. Uh, the whole thing. Yeah. Put it on. And I was like, I remember th- we wrote it. First place we wrote it was like a deep sand track. And I was like, Dad, this doesn't feel any different. Like, it, this is still dog slow. <laughs> and my buddy had an 89 Honda, coincidentally, oh, yeah. right there. Right. And my buddy had an 89 Honda, and I wrote it. And I'm like, yeah, this bike's way faster than my stock cow- than my Pro Circuit Kawasaki. So... Bad bike, anyways. But I was supported by Kawasaki again. I got the same deal. It was like half off retail was the deal. But, um, so yeah, 89. So in 89, your brother's pretty much out of the picture. He's, he's done, yeah. He's, so he's, now he's, your, he's dad, your dad's looking at you, and, and does he think you're going to go there? Does he think you're going to be Jean-Sebastien Waugh? What's, what's What do you think? No, like, Seba- hey, easy on that. Sebastien Waugh wasn't my age. Like, we're same. We were contemporaries. Oh, sorry. Ross Peterson. Okay, so right. Ross Peters. Does he think you're going to be the next role? Yeah, I mean, I'm training. I'm training during the week. Like, I'm riding an exercise bicycle, and I'm running, and I'm riding after school. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like I'm I'm trying to 
trying to be it. Like, and is he is he investing? I don't know how much money you guys had growing up, but yeah, I know a lot of the many parents invest more yeah, than they yeah. probably should. Yeah, was he doing that too? No, he made good money. He was an auto mechanic, and he had a he had a side business as an auto mechanic. Then he worked for a garage too. So he, one thing about my dad, man, he worked his balls off. He was a really really hard worker. So I don't think we were ever above like we were middle class growing up. And then my dad's dumped a ton of money into racing, and he was gnarly. Like we had, you know, like you know, pro circuit stuff and whatever we needed to do, and all of that. So, your relationship with him, where did it? Do you still see him, or what's going on with that? No, how, where, where, no, where, how did that? How did that? How did your relationship with him develop through the years? Like from there to where I don't hear you talk about him that much. Nah, I don't because I don't see him. I haven't. Uh, I haven't talked to him. Well, I haven't seen him for what year is it? Twenty nineteen. I probably haven't seen him for five years. I've texted with him three or four times in the five years, and that's about it. We just, we just, he got he he uh, at some point like ninety. Well, yeah. So uh, nineteen ninety, I get three Hondas, and I'm novice. So I'm riding all three classes, like wow. as a, as a 16 year old. That's crazy. And you had sponsorship as a yeah, novice. yeah. A Honda had a Honda ride. Basically, yeah. you ever heard, you ever seen that come ride with us thing from yeah. Honda? So what they did in Canada was they said, "Hey, we're going to give one of those come ride with us bikes to to somebody." Oh wow! Yeah, so they gave me a 125. Wow. Yeah, and we bought a 250 and a 500, and I was riding all three novice classes. And then, uh, what's that? Oh wait. No, I couldn't. I had the 500, but I couldn't ride. Yeah, there was a two. The, two, the novice class was 250, 500 combined. So I couldn't ride all three. B class, I rode all three. Okay. A class, and then pro, I rode all three. Um, and then we, we had Hondas from there on out. I had Hondas until through 90, 90 91, 92, all Hondas. And, and, then, and then my mom and dad got divorced around 92, 93. And now I assume you're racing almost every weekend, and that yeah. puts a lot of pressure on the relationship. Did that? Did that have any effect on Debbie and your dad's relationship? Oh yeah, yeah. Because my dad, I mean, he was just yelling and screaming if you didn't get results, right? He was just gnarly. So my mom was always trying to be like, "Hey, you got to ease up on this, the kids." And my brother and him are barely speaking at this point at all. And but I'm like, I'm the type of guy. I th- and I saw this with Carmichael. And I'm, I'm no, in no way am I comparing myself to Carmichael. But I saw this when he went to Carmichael's back in the day. Ricky was motivated, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think people who are around him a lot has, have backed me up on this. If you yelled at Ricky or got mad at him, which Jeannie did a lot, he was he worked harder to shut her up, to show her. Yeah, right? Absolutely. And my brother... Was he, my brother would just give you the finger and walk away. I was like Carmichael where I was like, I'm going to show you. Screw you. Like I remember a lot of my motos in those, not so much 90, but now 91 as a B rider and 92 as a pro. A lot of my motos were like, fuck you. I'm going to show you that I, you know, that I can do this, right? So I was working harder to show him because he would be the taskmaster that I would never make happy, right? That's how we worked. And then my, him and my oh. mom never really got along because of that. My mom's a softie. She's just a typical mom. I met her. She's kick-ass. Yeah. She's, she's, she's not going to have that, you know. So my dad was definitely – but my dad was all in. Like I've told this story before. Like I specifically remember this. There's two stories about how, how I can tell you how gnarly my dad was. One story, local race. Uh, 
hard track, hard pack track. Rain all night Saturday night. Bikes are ready to go on Saturday night. Hard pack tires, everything. Rain all night. We show up at the track. We get there. It's muddy. My dad switches six tires, puts mud tires on front and rear on all three bikes. Wow. And and gears them differently for the mud. You know. Yeah. Everything else. Jeez. I go out there. I ride practice. Ride the first motos. Track dries up. Gets hard pack again. Especially that clay where I grew up. Like it really that it's sort of a. Hard to explain it, but North Dakota people would know what I'm talking about. This just this it's clay. Like, it's like a, it's like stick. It, yeah, it's almost it's almost stuff. better oh, if yeah, it keeps yeah. raining yes, rather than yeah, yeah. yeah. So track dries up, gets hard pack. For the second motos, he switches six tires back to hard pack and the gearing and everything. This and now is you're, a, this and is now you're a talking, local race. And you're not talking like you have extra rims. He's breaking no, no, them yeah, down. Yeah, he's he's breaking them down. You know, Damn. And, and and I'm just like, Dad, you don't have to do that. And then he's like, No, this is going to help you. So we did it. So that's one story about how gnarly my dad is. Like that's wow. That's what he was like, right? Like whatever advantage I could get. But you've got to feel that. Like well, yeah. as a kid, you see your yeah, dad yeah. and you know well, he's, yeah. he's sweating, his oh, knuckles yeah, yeah, are probably yeah. bleeding. Yeah, and like, you're, so you're like, hey, I got to work, you know, I got to do well here this well, weekend, you know? Did you feel that or were you like kind of, I remember when my dad do stuff like that, it almost made me a little bit scared. Yeah, no, no, I don't, no, for me it was like, fuck yeah, we're all in, we're, we're all in. Another weekend, so the Loretta Lens of Canada was 24 hours away in Toronto, drive. And, and there was a local race uh, at the Loretta Lens of Canada a month before it. So we load up. I get off school. You got to remember, too, I was going to – he took me to Florida in 89 for like a month. He took me to California in 90 for a month. I stayed with Marty Smith for a while. So was it just like, you and him that would road trip? Yeah. Well, the, the, the 90, my whole family went, but then mom and dad went home, and I stayed back for another three weeks to ride with wow. Marty. Yeah. So, like, that's the kind of – thing we're doing right like we're all, like we're going to california we're going to florida and we're, we live yeah. above north dakota so it ain't it ain't easy and then so he's like hey this track motor park is having a local race the month before loretta's you need to go there we need to go there to learn the track i'm like what it's like 24 hour drive he's like not too bad get out of school friday you know drive out 24 hours go to the the race race the race like just locals you know yeah. from manitoba Turn around and go back. Like, For a local race. Yeah. And then, but get this, we showed up a month later, they had flattened the track and, and built a brand new track. <laughs> what, what did your dad, was he like? Oh, I just remember being like, oh boy. Oh boy. Like, like he's just like laughing. Like he's just like, you know. So uh, we would drive to and from the races together. I was 16 now, 17. He would not, he would not stop to switch drivers. He would just, <laughs> he would just get out, hold the wheel. I would slide in the front. You know, in a van, we would yeah, the we swap. would only, we would only stop for gas and food, and and the food had to be on the same size of freeway as the gas. Like he was just all about making time, right? As efficient, a so, efficient. So we had a ton of steering wheel time. Him and I just driving to these. We used to go to Minnesota. Minnesota raced a month before we did in Manitoba, so we would go every weekend back and forth. So I was getting home Sunday nights two three in the morning from Minnesota because the local race ended at five or six. And then I was going to school at like nine and he was getting up and going to work. So how, so, how were those drives when you had a bad race? Was it rough? No, nah, I don't remember any, I don't remember any like really rough races, but he, you know, he would let you know like what, but I don't remember like any drives being like, like JT and Frank would just drive in silence. Like they, like Frank would be so mad at him and JT be so mad at Frank. They wouldn't listen to the radio for eight hours. They would just drive in silence. Yeah. I, I remember trips like that. My dad, I, right. I, I would go back in the shell. I don't truck. remember 
any trips being like that other than him and I discussing like, oh, you, you know, what happened today? Like all that kind of stuff. And it never got physical. Like he never, but definitely got verbal, you know? Um, so that was an example, a couple examples of how gnarly my dad was. Like that was his, his thing was like, he was going to, you know, do whatever it took. He was all in money, time, everything. And I, so me, I wrote a ton. I trained like I was going to be, you know, and then uh, a guy named Shane Drew, who was a Canadian national seven for a couple of years. Um, maybe six one year. Uh, now he's in the industry still. Yep. He was racing locally and doing all the Canadian nationals with rollerball and all those guys. And so my dad would often say, "Hey, you know, look at Shane. Like we go places where Shane was riding. Shane would bust out like two thirties or whatever. And so, all right, that's what I have to do. You know what I mean? So that kind of stuff. Okay. So now you're, you're grinding it out with your dad. You're getting. You got the chance. How, how many championships? And where does it get to where it's almost near the end? And and what causes the end to make you go a different direction? Uh, well, when did, when did the racing dream start to yeah, fade into, yeah. right. Well, hey, I'm not going to make it. Yeah. Like everybody, right? Like you, yeah. like me, mm-hmm. like anybody, right? At some point and, and all the mechanics, just about every mechanic and, in the, in the pits is a failed racer. You and know it, and I mean? it leaves a giant, like just why can why was the only guy that never actually <laughs> raced that became in the industry. That's true. You know what I mean? But, and you can see every single person that goes through it. It's almost this, this like depression, this hole that you almost have to fill. Yeah. How did that? How did it go down for you? Well, at some point, my dad's like, "Hey, we got to open up an aftermarket shop. We're going to open up because there was one in Winnipeg, but it was on the other side of the city, mm-hmm. and they did really well with just selling aftermarket stuff. Not a dealership, just you know, a little aftermarket shop. Like so, so we opened this up in like '91. Now, did he think that? Do you think he still believed you're going to make it at that point? Yeah, okay. yeah, I think so because I won both B championships. Okay. Um, yeah, I won both B championships in '91. One of, and I broke my arm. And in the Loretta Lynn's of Canada, I broke my arm um, maybe two weeks before at a uh, fair race in South Dakota. And so that crushed that Loretta Lynn's. Oh. So that would have been a really big thing for me. Yeah. Uh, the guy who I beat all the time in Manitoba got third. So I would have been, I would have been good. You and know who, what I mean? Who was that? This guy named Shane Langdale. Okay. So I, th- I believe he got third. This guy named Cal Nowicki won, who I yeah. still see now and then on, on Facebook and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I raced Cal at the Race oh, of Champions. Yeah, he's a good dude. Yeah. So um, he won that year, the Red Lens of Canada. I didn't go, but I often think, like, fuck, like, I could have really broken out there. Like, it would have been a big deal, you know? So uh, I did get one Canadian championship, 500 novice. I got, like, the Red Lens championship, yeah. right? Um, And uh, so 91, we have this shop, and we're running a shop. During the week, racing on the weekends. I'm going straight from school. We open at one. I'm front loading all my classes and to get off at noon or twelve thirty, and I'm yeah. going straight to the shop from one to six, loading up at six and going riding. That's my life. Like I'm like seventeen, eighteen, right? And I'm running a shop, like taking money, credit cards, ordering things, everything. My dad's doing. My dad's monitoring it. We're placing booking orders for answer stuff from through R and M and all this stuff, like. And now is he still also running the car stuff that you were talking? Yeah, about? he's still working. You know, oh, doing wow. all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, damn, I know it was too much. It I was, said that, it, that's that it was too out. much for a kid my age to be dealing with adults, as far as you know, buying and selling things. And it was taken away from my racing because I was worried about the shop and my school. Like, fuck school. My dad didn't care, but I, I certainly did. But I was struggling in school because I was like, hey, there's more to like. I, I just went to California. And I went to Florida. Like, I don't need this this school shit, right? But 
but you do. But at the time, you're like, I got a business. Like, yeah, I'm already working. Why yeah, I had a, I I had a bag cell phone cooksy. I mean, I was rolling. <laughs> I was rolling in it. I'm making more than my teachers. I'm good. Right. So, but the shop wasn't working too well, and it also wasn't. Um, yeah, it wasn't really, you know, working out with him and my mom anymore. And then that was going south. And he was starting to care less about the racing. And then, truthfully, I was getting hurt, too. Like, So, 91, I won the championship with a, with a cast on at the final round. From the arm that you broke? Yeah. Uh, I had to duct tape it up oh, and ride with a cast. Um, I tore my ACL in 90 before the season started. I tore my ACL. I rode, I rode half the season with this football brace oh. on my, underneath my pant. So, I tore my ACL. Didn't tear it all the way through, but just half or whatever. Yeah. 91 was the, oh, 91 winter, cracked my pelvis, Ooh. went over the bars in an indoor race, cracked my pelvis, was was bedridden for two months, I think, or a month anyways. Um, how, how did it get around your house when you were hurt? Was there, was there a lot of tension? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, my mom was cool, but my dad was like, yeah, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Like, so I was fighting through this. I was crashing more than I probably should have. And, you know, I would ride three, four days a week. I was never at my very best rider and i won one expert class in my in my career in manitoba but i was never that good i just rode a shit ton like i rode my bikes were hammered i would just ride three four days a week and i would do 20 minute motos you know what i mean like all day like that's how i got good yeah just grinding like not a lot of talent like the opposite of justin hill yeah, <laughs> there's no talent. Yeah, you know, I was probably like JT, right? Where JT just grinded. JT, he got everything out of what he had. Yes, exactly. I mean, obviously JT has serious talent. To, oh, yeah. but I, but I'm saying as a pro level rider. So yeah, I just that's where I, that's where my racing stuff came from was was just work ethic. Just I was in shape. Hard to believe, I know. So, but I was in shape, and I and I just grinded it. We all have that moment where you decide, okay, I got to move on to something else. What was your moment? I don't know, Cooksey. That's too dramatic for me. Do you have a moment? I do. Oh, what's your moment? I was working at South Valley Motorsports what, what in Utah. That? Okay. Uh, just a, a dealership? assistant parts manager. I was still trying to ride pro locally, trying to do the arena crosses. I make mains, get smoked. A dude came in, Brad Bolton. He was a uh, 30 pro, stoned, lived in his parents' basement. <laughs> and I remember going, shit, that's my future. Oh, Call, yeah. Called my buddy in Arizona, went to college. Oh, really? Yep. Oh, wow. That okay. Yeah, no, not for me. See, my 90... 90- by the way, Brad Bolton, if you're listening, thank you. I appreciate it. You're a good dude. I love you. Uh, 91, I won the B class. 92, I turned pro. And my dad was sort of out of the picture now. He was like, hey, you're on your own. And I'm like, but we So you kept this, racing as after your dad. We have this shop. Well, he's just around, right, a little yeah. bit. But it was weird because he was not at home anymore. And, like, uh, 92, I turned pro. I have, the, I have a 91, 125 still. I couldn't afford a new bike because my dad was like, hey, I'm done. And I'm like, but what happened to you and yeah, I? we had a dream. We had a dream. Uh, I had a 92 CR250, and, and he took the 500. Like, he just took it, even though I was making payments on it. Oh, Still shit. bitter to this day about that, by the way. But So he, he split with the 500 because he liked to ride that. I bought a 92 250. I bought a 91. I kept my 91 125 that was all pro circuit out, which was re- it was a great bike. 91 CR125 was a pro circuit. was a great bike. So I... Um, yeah, they had the white shroud. Yeah, white shroud. Yeah. Yep. I... Uh, not, so after all those injuries I just told you, in 92, tore my rotator cuff. That was out of it for a while. Got back on the bike. Broke a couple fingers. Got back on the bike. Had a concussion. Like, 
my first year pro was rough, right? Like I was just like, welcome to the big leagues. Like, and, and I wasn't, I was, I was probably a top five guy. If that, I probably, I probably wasn't even, I don't, I know I never got a podium. Well, I don't like, I, I was like, okay, well I can't even beat these local dudes. How the hell am I going to beat Ross Peterson? And it, you know and, what I mean? Yeah, and it's like quicksand or too. JSR. Yeah, yeah. Once you have one of those injuries, then you miss out on time. They get ahead of you. Then yeah. you ride harder. Then you have another one. Right. And it's just and, and now I, I had no financial support to go all over the oh. place. So my dad, I was now just a local pro, right? Like now I was just a local guy, trying to make it right. I was out of school at this point. Um, graduated high school barely because I was so far behind in all my credits. Like my last, what's the grade twelve they call it? Senior. Yep. Okay. Senior. So my senior year. We don't have that in Canada. My senior year, I was um, – most of my buddies were out at 11 or 12, right? It was just a lax year because yeah. you just had to get minimum credits. Well, I was so far behind, I had to do a full year. Shop was folded now. We fold the shop, all that. I had to go all day long, like eight hours a day, just to get the credits that I needed to, to, to make sure that I was w- wearing a cap and gown with all my janky friends. Yeah. So I didn't want to be that Dude, guy. That's commendable, though. A lot of people just bail out on it or go to that – Well, I didn't want to be that guy that was like, hey, hey where's Mathis? Ah, oh, he didn't graduate. You know <laughs> what I mean? Make it, he yeah. didn't make it. Um, so, yeah. So I graduated high school, and then now I was just a local pro, trying to trying to work a job. What was I doing at this point? I, I know there's a you know you you said there's a turning point yeah. for um, yep. your career. There's I know always that, that point with that. that I, where I have, you have to face yourself. I have say. a turning point for when I headed to the states to yep. be a mechanic. I That's have that. that. No, no, no. That no. could be it. Yeah. I don't have that yet. I'm oh, not no? there yet, but okay. I have it. Um, so I'm racing locally, and I'm just getting hurt. And I'm lining up. I, ro- I raced Pro National. I got 13th in one moto, which is pretty good. At Millville? I was, no, 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 no. Canadian Pro oh, National. Oh, Canadian National. Still, that's really good. Got 13th, so I, I was one in one moto. That's good. I was though. like, hey, I still all right. Dude, 13th you know? on your own. Yeah, yeah. Dude, yeah, that's legit. Well, was, that's, that's pretty legit. The competition wasn't great at this point in Canada because there was uh, a CMRC. Don't take that away. That's pretty badass. There was badass. a CMA and CMRC that were fighting. So... There was two different. Anyways, so either way, pretty good. Yeah, I was I was still fast when things lined up. I won one pro moto, I got some podiums in ninety three. In ninety three, I just had a CR two fifty. In ninety four, I had a KX two fifty, that was garbage. It was a great bike, but fell apart like so easily. <laughs> I remember just those foot peg springs and plastics Dude, and the bolts. frames would oh, break. Oh god, oh. good bike though, good suspension and motor and stuff, but. Um, but I was just, I just kept getting hurt. Like the dream was now dead, right? The dream is dead. I can race local pro, and if you get in top three, you can get a couple hundred bucks. Yep. And you know, make your way, pay your way for that weekend. You know what I mean, or whatever. I was teaching some motocross schools on the Saturday before the race, so I got to ride the track a little bit. So that was helping. So um, you're so you're a legit local pro. People are you know people looking at you. Hey, my kid's pretty good. That type of guy. Yeah, that in type Canada. of guy. Right, right. That type of okay. guy. And then I raced. Uh, uh, I lined up from Millville. Two or three times on the five hundred. Nice. Um, so that was that was always I made it once. I didn't make it a couple other times. So that part was always that was fun, but the dream was dead, right? Dad and I were not really talking other than hey, what's up? I wasn't getting financial support from anybody. And well, you've got to be what, nineteen, twenty? Yeah, nah, yeah, eighteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. Nah, yeah. probably eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Yeah. Yeah, because once you hit nineteen right, twenty back and then that graduate, was it. You graduate yeah. eighteen. You, yeah. Age eighteen. So yeah. So I would have been eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Somewhere around there. And then things just weren't like, yeah, I was just settling into like trying to, like, I wasn't going to college. My buddies were going to college, a lot of my buddies. Yep. I wasn't going to college. I had all this debt from the store. We had taken out a. Wait, what? Well, that at some point. You were point, a minor. How did you have the debt? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, at some point, my dad took me to the bank 
to no. so, to sign a loan to get a loan for eighteen thousand dollars, which may have been which may as well have been one hundred eighty thousand dollars for, yeah. for back then. And so then when my dad split, he left me paying that loan, and I'm like, really, dad? Like you have the five hundred, which was part of the buying the bikes. Yeah. The shop is folded. Oh. I'm barely getting by here, uh, trying to make these loan payments as a 17, 18 year old. You know what I mean? I remember the you want a loan payment four hundred and sixteen dollars. <clears throat> that was that was I remember the amount. Uh, well, that doesn't sound like much now. No, but no, dude. No, no. Then for what I had to get four hundred sixteen dollars every month. So I was pumping gas as a second job. I was working pumping gas at night. I was working delivering car parts for a while in a tr- like you know driving to all the garages yep. delivering car parts. I was my buddy uh, Daryl Martins, who was really fast and really good. Um, he hired me to work his oak furniture store, so I would deliver oak furniture slash sell oak furniture. <laughs> so I could sell the shit out of a lazy Susan. <laughs> trust me. Um, and then at some point, he opened a store in Toronto, and I went there for a little while to work. And he opened a store in Vic- Victoria. I went to Victoria for a little bit to work. So I was just dude, just struggling to find my purpose here i had no skills outside of high school right yeah and i was still paying this i was in debt massively i was trying to race which is expensive oh and i was you know not doing anything with my life <laughs> yeah you were on the uh the same path that i was kind of at and you know yeah local i mean pro. i guess the, the part you can where get you, high race a little bit i wasn't i never got high all the guys in my area that's what they, they I, smoke I, pot and red i've never smoked weed or a cigarette in my life seriously never ever, ever. never taken a puff on anything in my maybe life you should have maybe um, yeah, and I, that's why when years later when I was a mechanic, I saw cocaine, and I, I was like, oh my god, I thought that was just in the movies. <laughs> that's on that was, my list. <laughs> I thought that was just like in Miami Vice, like, you know, I, that's right there in front of me. Um, but anyways, uh, so my moment, Cooksey, my life was going down, so mom and dad, they had to sell the house that I grew up in. My brother was gone, right? He'd moved on and no longer riding. Was he going to, did he make college? No. what he do? Uh, he ended up, he's a massage therapist. Uh, now, before we move on to that, did you did you guys ever fist fight? Did you ever get any fights oh, yeah, on the track? Yeah. Did you ever no, fight no, any no, other competitors? No, not, no, 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 never. Your dad that. ever have any no. beefs with other parents? No, no, never, nothing. Okay. I wasn't sure. Nothing, yeah, never, never, nothing I can remember. My but, my childhood was littered with fist fights. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, I heard about that stuff from like guys that, you know, like the Eddie Hicks feature I did, right? Like yep. the, Bobby Morris telling me the parents were getting fights all the time. I'm like, what? Yeah, my, my dad didn't, he beat up one local pro because he took out my brother, but that was about oh, it. Oh, jeez. No, I don't remember. I I don't remember any of that growing up. My my mom and dad would fight early on at the races when he would be yelling at a, one of us for doing shitty, and then she just stopped coming because it was like she was like I'm not I can't handle this. You know what I mean? So pretty common. That's about how mine right. too. Yeah. So um, but no, none of that. Um, back to your uh, back wait, to your moment. Sorry. No, but, no, we got to do the read. Fly racing racer X podcast presented by Maxis and Alpine stars. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you're uh, not getting bored by this. Thank you. Race tech as well. Pulp 19 is the code to save at race tech, race tech.com zombie. Chris blows using race tech. Uh, Kate Clayson. They just did a set of suspension for Kate Clayson to go to Finland to beat Alex Ray with uh, fantastic. What? Can I take a piss? Yeah, go ahead. Do my read. All right. And uh, yeah, so uh, cooks, has gone to go to the bathroom. Racetech.com, Pulp19 is a code to save. Whether it's motors, whether it's suspension, whatever it is, Pulp Racetech can dial you in. And uh, they'll give you a Pulp Max discount on it as well. So thanks to those guys for making it happen. And, of course, Fly Racing, flyracing.com. Formula Helmet is out now, and it's amazing. I love it. It's vented. It's quiet. It's lightweight. And it's got amazing two different layers of protection inside of it. Well, actually three if you count the EPS liner. 
So the Fly Racing guys have done a great job with the Formula Helmet, and they've really knocked it out of the park. Thank you to those guys, uh, Max's Tires, of course, and uh, Alpine Stars. So they're all on board with us doing this Steve Mathis podcast with Steve Mathis, all about Steve Mathis. We are at your moment. Let me know when you're on. Yeah, so we're on. Okay. Uh, okay, so yeah, my moment was I was working as a welder's apprentice at this shop, uh, working nights, four days a week, 10-hour shifts. I think I would start at four or five and get off at whatever, two or three, right? Whatever the yeah. math is. Yeah. Um, and I was grinding out handrails, so I would be the grinding boy. Uh, so that's the grinding that's the handrails, you know. So you have ear you have earplugs on, you have a mask on. There's there's metal shavings everywhere and metal dust everywhere. And I was grinding and doing. It was a shit job. It paid okay. I would bicycle to and from work, which was good. It would get me some exercise for riding. Uh, I had a Marin mountain bike, three in the morning, just hauling ass uh, uh, home on a Marin mountain bike. I remember those nights, like in the summer and stuff. Um, and then I got laid off from that. So mom and dad split. The house was sold. Mom had nowhere to go. Brother was out. Mom moved in with her mom, my grandma, and I was brought with her. And my grandma was drinking a lot these days and not a very nice person, by the way, although it was my grandma. But it wasn't I'm, – I'm living in the basement at my grandma's. Like, seriously. Like, if you want to wow. make a movie yeah. about it. Like, I'm 23, 22, living in the basement, playing hockey in the winter, riding in the summer, and working at this welder shop and, you know, drinking on the weekends or whatever, racing still, right, all that. And uh, I got laid off from the welder shop, and I'm just like, fuck, like, I can't even keep a welder's job. Now, I didn't get laid off because I was a bad worker. They just, they, you know, whatever. But I'm like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing? I'm living in my grandma's basement. I have no secondary education. I have no skills. I have nothing. I'm a loser. <laughs> no chick. I hadn't had a girlfriend forever. Like, I mean, I had a couple growing up, but not much. I was just into racing all the time. Yeah, so, so when, when are you going to have a girlfriend between yeah, the job? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. No yeah. chicks. Um, my, yeah, some of my buddies were, like, hooking up with chicks, and, and that seemed cool, but I couldn't get a chick to like me. And I'm, like, living in my grandma's basement. So I was like, fuck, I got to do something. So my other buddy uh, from racing, he didn't race, but um, he was around the racing scene. He had gotten a job with the. Do you remember the uh, Bridgestone Renthal support trailer? Yep. That was at the, all the yeah. Pro Nationals. It went to the Amateur Nationals sometimes Did too. Did it? Okay. Yep. It was at the Pro Nationals. You could buy Renthals for 20 bucks, Bridgestone tires for 20 bucks, whatever. Race discount. Any kind of, yeah, race services. So he had gotten a job with them. And then Shane Drew, speaking of Shane Drew, he had quit racing years before. He was now working at Nolene as a suspension guy, slash, he was Brooks's mechanic, Kyle Lewis's mechanic, whatever. So I still kept in touch with those guys, and I'm like, I want to do that. Like I would now. I was, was I still racing Millville? I don't think I was racing, going down to race Millville anymore. I think I went down to hang out a couple times. Like I just love, you know. So that was in the days of Saturday and tech inspections. You would go to the hotel on Saturday and so, hang out. So you're up in Canada, and you. It's not the days of internet, cell phone. Like you probably just saw magazines. And how did you keep in touch with these guys? You just have their numbers. Yeah, or? yeah. I think I just. Yeah, I don't know. Right. Fucking weird, right? Yeah, I don't remember I mean, how you had to like dial up. Like it was. Well, yeah, I think you just left a message on the on the answer machine, right? And if you moved, sometimes you just lost people. Yeah, yeah, you just yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's really. But weird. that's crazy that you actually. I was curious at how that happened. Yeah, so I remember Daryl was the guy working for, and he he went to good work for Tony Armour Radio at KTM too, as a mechanic. Daryl couldn't really get me anything, and I was calling Shane Drew, and I was like, Shane, like I'll just I'll do anything, like I'll just I got to get down there. I I, I you know I always did my own bike mat bike maintenance because my dad was a mechanic so he taught us well and 
and you know through many many frustrating times of working on bikes and power valves and shit like that but i i could do top end and i could do you know yeah. i don't know if i could do a bottom end yet but anyways i thought i could handle being a pro mechanic and uh i remember shane was like well i've talked to this guy for you and i talked to this guy for you and and but he's like nobody is going to hire you from the couch in canada you got to come down and so i was laid off from the steel mill so i but i had unemployment checks coming in the steel shop and I remember Shane... Steel mill, like flash dance. What, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, yeah. Sorry, keep going. Um, so Shane was like, come down here. He was working for Kyle Lewis at 96, in the beginning of 96. Come down here. So I went to, down to Denver Supercross at 96, and then it was another one after that. No, that was the final round. Then there was a couple nationals after that. And Shane was like, yeah, like just hang out and meet people. And I took my last like four or $500. I jumped in the car of a buddy of mine that was also going to Denver. And, you know, we drove down to Denver together from Winnipeg. I think that's 16 hours or something. Yeah. And I met Shane and then the other buddy turned, we watched the Supercross, the other buddy went home and I was now stuck with Shane Drew and the Nolene Box fan. And I went around the pits, like to, I saw Frenette, you know, I remember yeah. Frenette, he was work, he was riding with Jason McCormick, who was from Washougal area. They were together in a box fan. And I was just going around being like, hey, do you need a mechanic? Do you need a mechanic? Do you need a mechanic? Like, I'll just like, that's how you did it, right? Like, yeah. And Shane Drew was vouching for me. I mean, Shane was like, yeah, I know this guy. He's a good dude type of deal. But And there wasn't a lot of money to be paid to those oh, guys. Oh, hell no. I, if I, any. I worked for McCormick for a weekend at High Point on a 125, KX125. I think he went 14-14. And like the, I had the bug. Like I was, you know, I was a fan of the sport, as you, can, as you know, and as you can tell anybody who listens to me. So I was in the mechanics area with, uh, you know, all the guys, factory. Mike Gossler for Lampson and, and Ali Seymour for Wyndham and all these guys. And I'm like, I'm in. This is what I want to do. Like I love this. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, and so, but McCormick can only hire me for one weekend. So I hung out with Frenette for a little bit, and then the PJ One team was around, and uh, the owner, Burnsville Yamaha, was a supporter with a dealership where they got all the bikes from. It was Alex McKellier team from Arizona. Yep. He got hurt though, so he wasn't there anymore. PJ One was Button's thing. Extreme was Button's thing. I just, he had just gotten back from Europe, Europe right? Yeah, he, yep. he didn't have a rod. And so they were needing a mechanic because they fired Cog, Danny Stevenson's buddy, who still calls in the show every now and then. <laughs> they fired Cog. He went back to Nebraska to hang with Danny. Danny was on Great Western Bank, so I guess he wouldn't hang with Danny. But anyways, so Paggio, Anthony Paggio, now works at Oakley, was Corey Keeney's mechanic, but he went to go work for Button once Cog got fired. And so they had an opening for Keeney. And it was kind of the Minnesota, Burnsville Yamaha was based out of Minnesota. While the owner used to promote all these arena crosses, the one I broke my pelvis at yeah. and everything else, I would race his races twice a year. So he knew me and his name was Gary Groth. And I, I found Gary and I said, Gary, like, I heard you're looking for a mechanic. I'll do anything. Like, I, I want to do this. And he was like, you're a racer, aren't you? I'm like, yeah, no, 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 no. I'm not a racer. I'm a mechanic now. And he's and he was like, I don't know, man. I need a mechanic. I don't. I don't need a racer. You know what I mean? I'm like, no, no, no. Like I can do the job. Like you know. And I remember saying, hey, I'll work for free for two weeks. If I don't work out, send me on my way. But for two weeks, I'll work for free. And he was like, oh, yeah, you're in. You know, back. I mean, <laughs> he's you, just like two weeks for free. If he sucks, he goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's it. I started working for Keeney. And uh, Paggio was a great help to me. Anthony Paggio from Florida. I met him right away. I'm still friends with him to this day. And uh, he taught me a lot. Um, I fucked up a lot. Paggio's got some great stories of me fucking up. Um, we drove the truck and trailer. We had a Dodge Dually with the trailer. And that was it. I was on my way. And I made $300 a week. Yeah. But we ha and, and I just relied on Paggio to take me 
like Padgett will be like, hey, we're going to Swinks House. We stayed at Swinks for a few weeks in Michigan. We stayed at um, – we had Gene Numack with us for a while because Gene was Padgett's buddy, so Gene just hitched a ride. Gene and his girlfriend and his kid. That was great. Um, <laughs> and then uh, we stayed at Swinks for a while. We stayed – man, I can't think of the other places we stayed, but we would – Oh, Jeff Glasses. We stayed at Jeff Glasses in uh, Pennsylvania for surf. a while. Yeah, surf guy. Um, and that's what we would do. And we'd build our bikes and uh, go to the races. And then I worked for Keeney, Corey Keeney from Minnesota. He was national number 39. So, you know, obviously wanting to be a racer and then you kind of switched to mechanic. Was it that day? That day with McCormick is when you went, This is I can actually yeah. do it? Yeah, that's, that, when it, that's when it really hit you yeah, or did yeah, you well, know for sure? I was fortunate to know Shane Drew. He introduced me to some people for sure. And and so now when people get mad at me, I'm like blame blame Shane Drew, blame that guy right there. Because <laughs> if I never I never would have come to USA, if it wasn't for Shane Drew. So I was and Shane's like I don't know that guy. So we have this running joke. But um, Do yeah, you- I remember well, I was such a fan of the sport, like I just loved it, right? And so to be at the nationals, I mean, I was the kid that I don't know if you ever did this, but as a kid, you know, my first Millville was '88. As a as a fifteen year old or whatever, and I I just would stand there and watch the box fans, watch the mechanics work on the bikes, like just stand there like a, like a f- stupid kid. I just love these things, right? I loved RJ and Wardy and all these guys. Rollerball. See, I, I was a little different. I right. went over there. I was the Golden State Nationals. <laughs> I didn't give a shit about the mechanics. Oh yeah. I was watching those guys warm up, and I'm learning whatever right, routines right. they were, trying to yeah. do the physical fitness aspect. I was of it. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was definitely into the racers too. 89, when I went to Florida in 89, you know, we, we went to Croom and I saw Barnett and all these guys there and it was amazing and um, and everything. So for me, I just, I've loved pro racing and the magazines, motocross action, and these magazines helped me love it from Canada. And then I was, you know, I I traveled a lot, Florida and California and all over Canada racing, but I just was like, fuck, like here I am, like I'm on the scene now and working for McCormick and he went 14-14 and like I'm like, Holy shit! You know what I mean? Like we're <laughs> we're awesome, and and so that's it. That's that was the bug that I needed, you know. And Keeney and I though never really hit it off very well. <laughs> he didn't do very. I got that. <laughs> he didn't do very well, and I was doing everything Paggio told me to do. And like, hey, Padge, what do we do for the bikes in between the week? You know, yeah, we take them down to the frame and we put them back together, and we do top ends here and bottom ends there. And I mean, I was doing all that, painting the frames. You find a tree. Yamahas were white back then. The frames were white, so you had to put a base coat on, then spray spray paint them white. And Keeney was just kind of a dick to me. Like I never, I, I mean, I wanted to like the guy. I used to race him. First of all, we raced together. I don't, I don't think you remember me, but I used to race him in those arena crosses that the guy the dealership yeah. owned. He was really good. He was a team green kid. He was fast, um, faster than me. And uh, we just never really got along. And then I was kind of like maybe I was dreaming that I was Skip Norfolk already, like I wasn't taking, but I would be like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you're not even getting top 20. Like, you're national number 39. You can't get top 20. Like, it's not good, you know? Yeah, this dream's not going to go if you can't no, get and then, and then, you know, I didn't paint his frame one week and he lost it on me, but I'm like, dude, we drove 18 hours in two days and, you know, I didn't, Button's frame didn't get painted either because Padgio and I were, you know, we're yeah. just busy trying to get from one race to, to the next and the next weekend he fired me. Like I showed up, I built his bike. He showed up with his dad. I said, "Hey, my dad's gonna wrench for me." Like, what a dick move. That's kind of dick. It's a dick move. And so I, w- I didn't have a job. So then Kalos was on the team. Sean Kalos yeah. back from injury. I worked for Kalos for a couple of races, and then he broke his hand at Troy, Ohio. And then I was out, and I went to the rest of the races with Paggio just to hang out. And I never even spoke to Keeney or anything else. It, things got weird that way. So now this is this is about a year in now. This is ninety six. Yeah, this is half so, a year. Yeah. Ha- 
throughout that first little year, were there moments where did you consider saying, ah, oh, man, I'm just going to go back to Canada? Or was I homesick? No, was no, there any of that? No, never that. At really? Some, at some point, at some point. Um, you never went, is this the right decision? No, no, no. Really? No, wow, no, that's no, cool. No. I was like, this is what I want to do. This is it. Like, <laughs> well, think about it, Cooksey. I had nothing going on at home. Yeah. Like, it wasn't like I, was ha- I had some sort of rich parents or some career to go back to. I was a loser in my grandma's basement. So, like. But you're still raised, and you were still a local guy. Uh, like I don't yeah. remember. Like yeah. when I went to college, I had a few. My first few semesters, I'm like, why did I give up racing? No, this sucks. No. I was, I was, I think I had let go of the dream. I'd been so hurt so many times. I just there's a string of injuries there, and I uh, broke my foot three times, and like rotator cuff, yeah. and pelvis. Okay. I, I was so you like, were over it. Then that's good. Yeah, I was, I was ready to ready to hang up. And then at some point, I. You know, I'm just like, this is what I want to do. This is awesome. I can't believe I'm with all these guys. This is where it's at. These guys are amazing, and I'm a mechanic, and this is awesome, and I want to be this. And that really just drove me from there. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go light on your mechanic career because yeah. you t- you've talked about it a lot yeah. throughout the uh, the podcast and stuff. So you went from PJ1 to – Ty Birdwell. Ty Birdwell, and then the Birdwell after Watson was there. Yeah, Watson worked for him the year before, and then Fournette got me the job with Birdwell – my buddy Fournette yep. called Birdie and said, hey, I got this guy because the PJ1 team was done. and Yeah. Uh, so It was just to get Button back and going. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and then Button got a job with Chaparral. Got a ride yep. with Chaparral that next year. So And Paggio went with him. Um, and so the PJ1 team, well, we weren't even getting paid, dude. There were times where we had the credit card was getting denied. We couldn't <laughs> check into hotel rooms, so we slept in the lobby of hotels. You know what I mean? Like it was the, the, By the end of the Nationals, it was hanging on by a thread. And I wasn't getting paid and everything. So. In those days, how many box fans didn't even have registration? Through, yeah, really, if you went right? through the pits, was yeah, it pretty yeah. gnarly? I don't remember that, but I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, Watson's yeah. told that story about the Triple X fan. Yeah, right? never the Triple X. And, 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 well, the next year, Watson was at Triple X, and I was working for Birdie, and so I was hanging out with Kenny a little bit. I got to know him, and he was always blowing me off. But I was, <laughs> but I like, but Birdwell was buddies with him because you know. So I got to hang out, Deegan. Me, Watson, Deegan, and Birdwell shared a hotel room in Gainesville for about a week between Gainesville and whatever Supercross that was. Remember the first national yep. was there? Um, or Kenneth Jones's house, I think. Well, I have a Jones. question about Birdwell. Yeah. Birdwell was on a team with Eric Hilton. No. And a couple other guys in like 96. Do no. you remember that? No, it wasn't, wasn't. I don't think it was a team. Maybe he took Hilton yeah, racing. Yeah, no. It was it was Hilton, Birdwell, and like two other guys. I forget the name of it, but yeah, I'll have to think. Well, we it. stayed at Eric Hilton's down in Huntington Beach. Okay. So we did know Eric Hilton a little bit, like Birdie did. Okay. My first my first day on yeah, the they, job. They had a team. It was a funky team. I don't remember that. Yeah. Okay. They raced in Utah. But anyway, my, past that. My first job with Birdwell was, hey, his dad owned a car dealership in Washington, in Astoria, Oregon. So my first thing with Birdwell I was up in Canada waiting in between jobs, selling furniture, and, and my and the Birdwell said, all right, go to Washington, pick up an F-150, drive it to Southern California. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so you know, go across the border, tell them I'm just going for like a month or so, <laughs> pick up an, take a bus to the dealership, um, from the border to the dealership, then get in the F-150, find the dealership, remember, no cell phones or anything, <laughs> find the dealership, just- find Birdwell's dad, say, hi, I'm Steve. Here's the keys. I remember the bro- his brother tossed me the keys. Here you go. And I took the map, the Rand McNally, and drove straight down to California. And I got to Eric Hilton's house in Huntington Beach at like 3 in the morning. And this the, Birdwell was like, yeah, just come in you know, earlier that day. It said, just c- come in and sleep on the couch. Oh, better and hope I, you get the right house. I remember going in, sleeping on the couch, 
wake up in the morning and like Eric Hilton's chick and Eric, they're all just eating breakfast. And like, I'm just like, who are these people? I'm like, Hey, I'm Steve. Like just so randomly. Right. You think you look back at that and you're just like, what? Um, and then Hilton, I, I'm still friends with Hilton whenever I see him. Um, was Bill, was Bill West hanging around him at that no, time? No. Okay. Um, so he, had, he wasn't racing anymore by then. Yeah. 97, he was done. Um, so Birdwell and I, 97, Birdwell and I, 98, uh, and then um, halfway through Supercross in 98, Birdwell got hurt, and FMF Honda picked me up, and then I went to work for Danny Smith, and then that was n- the rest of 98, and I got fired from there, then I went to Germany for three months. Well, and that's where you lived in the shop for a while, right? In 98, FMF Honda, yeah. Dude. Yeah, at, in Torrance, in, in the FMF shop. And yeah. I crack up when people call, and they're, hey, how do I get into the industry? And, yeah. Like, they have no idea no. what it took to get. No. I mean, dude, that's you're, you're essentially homeless. I, I was. I was homeless. Not essentially. You were homeless. No, no. I was homeless from 96 until 2000. I never stayed anywhere longer than two months. Wow. And I slept all over people's couches i sold furniture for a little while for a couple months in the off season you know to kind of make money through make money in the off season i went to birdwells in oregon here and there um i went to torrance the lived in a race shop in california no just literally a thor gear bag was everything i owned no mail everything i mean my mom was just getting stuff from me like i i don't know you know what i mean i was just living paycheck to paycheck i had i had a bank account and I had a cell phone by 97 um, and that was about it. And, and just, and that's what I, Cooksey, that's what, like, I tell these people, like, you don't understand. Like, I would have done anything. I was doing anything. I was getting treated like shit. I wasn't getting paid by people. I was getting dicked around trying to get jobs. I was going to Europe. Like, I just wanted it so bad that I didn't care. I would do anything. And I think, you know, you've been around long enough where, think how many foreigners have been mechanics over the years, right? Like South yeah. Africans, Canadians, yep. Australians. You know why? Because we'll do anything. We don't have a family. There's we don't no have, plan B. There's no plan B. We don't have a base. We don't. We can't run home to mom and dad if things get tough. We all want to be there so bad, and we'll do anything, and we work our balls off because we have no life, and that is why you saw so many, not so much anymore, because le- legalities now, you know, it's a lot tougher. Yeah. But back then, there was all of us were undocumented foreigners, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, all of us. So, but we we just all did it, man, and, and that was it, and I had to go buy an air mattress and sleep in the race shop. Okay. Cool. Like, no problem. Like, whatever. Like, yeah, okay. What, what's the big deal? <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. But, yeah. That, so, and then, okay, so you go FMF Honda to Triple X? Or Triple X? No, no, no. Okay, FMF, FMF Honda. Honda. Uh, then Germany. Oh, that's right. Went the to Germany, Germany story. Went to Germany oh, for three months to go work for a kid from Finland. I couldn't get a job in America. What were you thinking? That's crazy. I, just, I thought doing the GPs would be fucking rad. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I yeah. thought, oh, I'm going to do the GPs. That'd be awesome. Travel the world. Did you, you know, know any I mean? Americans before? No, no. Wow. No, Billy Lyles got me the gig. Uh, I don't even know Billy Lyles, but he got me the gig somehow through somebody. Um, I didn't last, though, and then I got the job with Nolene in 99 with Timmy. Yeah. I missed the first two rounds. I was in Germany for the first two rounds of Supercross, and then I happened to have a pager, <laughs> and I checked pager. my pager. And Dave Dye, who I'd met at Triple X and everything else and known over the years, Dave Dye quit working for Timmy and Nolene to go work for Yoshimura Road Race Team. And Dave and Dave Dye told them, you should hire this Mathis kid. And they had my resume already from the previous fall. And I remember the guy saying, hey, it's Steve Russell from Nolene. Uh, 
We're looking for a guy for Tim Ferry, for mechanic, and Dave Dye gave us your name. Uh, want to see if you're still interested in the job. And I'm in Germany. <laughs> they and don't I, know that? They don't know that. And I call <laughs> him back, and he's like, well, can you be at Anaheim this weekend? And I'm like, yes. And, you know, like, <laughs> like just I remember calling mom and being like, can you buy me a ticket? You know, like, that's thank God for Debbie, right? Um, getting me a ticket to get me out of Germany. I flew straight to California. And what did you use for tools? They had tools. Okay. Or I, maybe I... I brought tools to Germany and then I brought them back. Yeah, because that used to be the gig, right? You brought yeah, the yeah, yeah. I might have, I might have flown with a plastic box and then brought it okay. back home, and then, um, and then I started working for Timmy in '99, and then he, he was really turning his career around. He tore his ACL in '98. He won a championship in '97. Tore his ACL in '98. Is a full time 250 guy, 450 now, of course. And then he was sort of written off. And then '99, he really invested him back in himself, and he built Supercross track on his property in Florida. And he started really doing well, and then that made me look well, right? Because yeah, uh, I remember he was getting top tens all the time. He was winning some semi races. He got third at Ind- Indianapolis on as a total privateer, like we were out of a box van, and he got third in a two fifty main event. And so that makes me look good. And now I was, I went from not, I went from, and you know, Paul Lindsay ended up being my friend, and in the. Yeah, fuck. I forgot about this. So, Paul Lindsay ended up being my friend, but in, at the end of 98, I couldn't get that guy to fucking call me back. Like, And I'm just like, I wanted to work for Planet Honda. He worked for Planet Honda. Yeah. He wrenched, he managed there. And they wouldn't call me back, and Paul Lindsay was like, you got a job. I'll get you a job. And I'm like, okay. And he would not call me back. And then at some point, Dean Marini Suzuki said, you have the job. Drive down here. You can start Monday. I drove all the way from Canada to California to start Monday at Dean Marini Suzuki. And I could not get the guy to answer my call, and he never did, and he never got me the job. Wow. After a week, I get a hold of the guy, the manager guy, and he goes, yeah, man, things change, man. Sorry. Because back oh. then, I didn't know where the race shop was. I didn't know anybody to even yeah. know where the race shop was and to go to. You don't just Google it. No, no. There's no Googling or nothing. So the guy, the guy makes me drive from Canada to Corona wow. to start on Monday and then never calls me back. Dude. And so at that point, I think that was a switch that was like, fuck this. I'm going to GPs. Like, fuck the scene. Like, fuck the American scene, right? I'm going to GPs. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, and that didn't work out. That was horrible. And then uh, back in California, working for Nolene, Timmy dude. does well. And Hold then, on. At this point, the desire to keep yeah, going. Like, yeah. My God, right, dude. Right, right. You yeah. know how many? 99.99% uh, of people probably would have quit and done something else. I don't know about that many, but yeah. No, dude. A uh, high percent. High percent. It would be right. fan, like I'd yeah. be fantasizing about just working a regular job at McDonald's. Yeah, at this point. I just wanted to do it, man. I loved it, right? I mean, Jeremy knew who I was, and yeah, Emig cool. knew who cool. I was, yeah. and I was like, you know, a guy, and uh, you know, it was it's awesome, right? All these all these dudes were hanging out. Like, I mean, Swink and I were buddies for a little bit there, and and I remember, you know, talking to him a lot, and and I was just like. Fuck yeah! I, I, you know, I'm in the mix. I got, I bleached my hair. I got earrings. Do you think the burning- corduroy shorts? Yeah, dude. I mean, shiny Should- shirts. <laughs> like I'm in, Cooksey. LBZs with yes. the forty pocket. Yeah. Yes, I'm in. Do you think the burning desire to be a part of it was because you didn't quite make it as a racer? Do you think some of it came from that? Yeah, I think the I, I always said if I can't be a racer and I was a failed one, the next best thing to me was being a mechanic. You were living it, like I mean, yep. and all those races that I held the pit board for all those all those races and all those years, every single one I got nervous, I got excited, I got sad, I got mad, right? Like you live it 
with the guy out on the track now. So yes, you're not racing, but it is it is. And you can ask JT or or anybody that know knew me for a long time. Like when I worked for you, and that's what maybe made the Keeney thing or the Danny. I didn't get along with Danny Smith that well either. To be fair, I fucked Danny's bike up a couple times, so I get it. But um, I was all in on my rider. Ask JT. You know, anybody I worked for was the greatest rider ever. You know what I mean? And we were just a we were just a few uh, uh, breaks away from winning the Supercross title. <laughs> well, I feel like Timmy, Timmy, and you were like the same age. Yeah, you raced in the same like the similar era that he did. Is that why you guys got along so I good? Know. No, I don't think so. I don't know, Timmy. Funny story though. When and did it, he did he when, listen to you when you gave him riding advice too? Because I'm sure no. you did back then. Yeah, right? I'm sure I did, but I doubt it. Uh, Timmy thought I was somebody else, so they told Timmy, "Hey, we hired <laughs> we hired this guy named Steve Mathis. He worked for this guy and this guy and this guy." And Timmy being clueless. That we know now. <laughs> Timmy, Timmy goes to LAX to pick me up from Germany. Yeah. And I come down the escalator and I walk right up to him and he's looking past me because he thinks I'm a different guy. He thinks I'm Alan Turlecki. Oh, Ryan, I remember him. Yeah. Ryan, Ryan's brother, Alan, who yeah. worked for Ryan, who's a good mechanic. Yeah. He thinks he's getting Ryan, Alan Turlecki instead of Steve Mathis. And I, 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 <laughs> so and, and I think, he, yeah. And I think he was like, huh? But anyways, <laughs> we were, it worked out. But uh, so then at the end of 99, Timmy gets a chaparral ride. And I and I get brought along at ninety nine nationals. We get picked up by Chaparral to be Lammy's teammate. Yeah, because Nolene's falling apart. Yeah, nobody's getting paid. You know all this stuff. We barely make what, it through. What Supercross. happened to it? They Clark Jones had sold it at this point. Yeah, because they had the Sizzler deal. Yeah, that. that was long gone. This okay. was, that, that was all Clark Jones. So okay. they he'd sold it, got rich off the Nolene bicycle stuff and everything else, yep. and then now it was just Randy Blevins, who was a good dude building pipes, and uh, Steve Russell, who was not such a good dude as far as. I think he's passed on now, but he wasn't very good to me. Anyways, um, so Nolene was falling apart. So then we got the ride with Chaparral after the first two nationals. Yep. And now I was with Chaparral, except Brooks is like, Larry Brooks is like, hey, so we're just going to hire you. We're going to pay you the same as the, the Nolene guys were paying you. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, but you got you to gotta drive, drive it to the races with Big B, <laughs> the truck driver. I'm like, what? And Big B didn't want me. He didn't want a fucking idiot in the truck with him. He didn't know me. And I didn't want to drive in a truck. Not a lot Cha- of space in those things. Chaparral was so cheap, though, they wouldn't, you know, oh, they wouldn't fly me to the races. That's so, Dameron. Yeah. And so I'm just driving with Big B, and he hates my guts. Hey, great, great, great work here, you know. Um, but we get through the Nationals. You know, um, I slept in the cab. We got hotels here and there with Brian. Him and Yeah, we laugh about it now, but he didn't like me. And, uh, I mean, whatever. He's a truck driver. He's doing his own thing, right? Yeah, they got their they like they yeah. their own little. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, and then at the end of '99, Chaparral hires Timmy full time to to alongside Jeremy, and they're like, "Okay, you're going to be the guy." And then I'm in. I'm the guy, and I'm building the race bike, and I'm getting all the titanium. And then at some point, Jerry Campbell's doing the motors. Jerry was Lampson's mechanic <laughs> before. At some point, Jerry's like, "Hey, I'm going to need to get that titanium back." And I'm like, <laughs> "Why?" Ah, I just got to look at it. Okay. And inspect it. Yeah, and then the next day he's like, hey, let me see your motor. And I'm like, huh? Like, you know, your motor, my, my motor's yeah. like, yeah, okay. And then the next day I get fired. You know, so they were like. Oh, uh, collect all, everything yeah, first. Yeah, but typical chaparral. They didn't want to pay the extra wage, even though they told me they could. Brooks felt really bad. I think he did feel bad, legitimately feel bad. And then uh, I, I was really late to get a job by then. He goes, he goes Brooks is like, don't worry. I, I called Mitch Payton. Go down there right now and meet with Mitch. He wants to hire you. I, I feel so bad. I, I go down to Mitch Payton, and Mitch doesn't seem to know anything about this. Oh, and wonderful. says, I got a service department job open, like working on customer stuff. Oh, boy. 
And at this point, Mitch's reputation with in the pits is well known. The mechanics work the balls off for very yep. little money. And I, and I wasn't even going to be that. I was going to be a service guy. I was like, nah, I'm out. So luckily, another Canadian, Alan Brown, was now uh, working at KTM as a team manager. So he hired me. Luckily, they, got, they were so late in getting their shit together with Regis Harrington and Keith Johnson and Donovan Mitchell, who got hurt before the year. Uh, they hired me to work for Kelly Smith. Or actually, I was going to work for Keith Johnson. Then Keith Johnson broke his wrists before the season started because of my fault because I took him out to a test track that he didn't know. And then Kelly Smith's mechanic got fired, so I got put with Kelly Smith. Wait, how is it your fault? Because I took Keith Johnson to this track in Simi Valley, and I, he says that I didn't tell him about this jump, but I say, you're a professional supercrosser. Yeah, shouldn't you look? Shouldn't you look? Anyways, it was an on-off, and he didn't know the off, and he went into into the face of the off and broke his wrist. Because I remember when he was hurt, and I heard that his bike had shut off. No, no, that was maybe not not that year, okay, not that time. So, um, yeah. So then I worked for Kelly Smith for two years. We won High Point in two thousand. Like never heard national. about that ever. Yeah, never. <laughs> and uh, won four stroke nationals. And Kelly and I got along good, not always great, but pretty good. I felt like he should have put more effort into it. You know, I felt like he advantage of him being the ktm golden child because remember he was ktm when they were were you his guy when no. fonseca hit no him? i was not that was 99 but okay. i was standing on a starting line with tim ferry going holy shit a fucking ktm is going to win this thing can you believe it yeah. piece of shit ktm with no linkage is going to win this thing <laughs> and then i'm working for him six months later so wow but yeah so again like just you know through the ups and downs of chaparral and finally making it with timmy quote unquote making it and then getting turfed from there for no reason you know what i mean getting fired from fmf honda for maybe a bit of a reason going to europe like i just kept banging my head against that wall like just what what do i got to do here when does pookie come into the picture well she'll tell you she was always in the picture but uh, when when did you guys i met her in 98 you met her in 98 when did you date her 2003 at yamaha yeah we didn't become we didn't become uh, boyfriend, girlfriend. Were then. you in the friend zone for a while? Yeah, we were friend zone. But we were banging. But we were, we were oh, okay. Well, yeah, that's yeah. not friend no, zone, no, dude. No. Okay, well, whatever. Yeah. You weren't official, official, but you were. Right, right. Okay. She was just some floozy on the road. Yeah. I tell yeah. her that now. She gets mad. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably keep that one down. Um, But yeah, no, we, we met in 98, and then uh, we always kept in touch. I always thought she was a cool, rad girl. She loved racing uh, more so than she likes now. Um, And uh, and she liked me and, and everything. So we always kept in touch. And whenever I was in her neck of the areas, I would stop by and see her or whatever. And that caused problems because sometimes she was in a relationship with another dude. You know what I mean? So that caused <laughs> You some... don't care. You're only in town. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so, yeah, we don't start till 2003. Okay. Fair enough. So how do you get from KTM to Yamaha? End of KTM, end of 01, KTM is like nobody likes nobody likes anybody at KTM at this point. They were point. a bit of a shit show. Yeah, they were. Langston was good, but he was getting preferential stuff and some parts that people weren't getting, and and uh, so the other people were not happy. And I was like, so Brooks comes back in the picture. Brooks comes back in and says, "Hey, I got you a job. I'm starting a team, a Bud Light team with Jeremy." Or was Jeremy? What year was this? Oh two. So. No, he was still chaperone and all that. Yeah, he's still so, yeah, chaperone. So, okay, so okay, we're we're getting Bud Light as a sponsor. We're yeah, gonna they, hire, they we're, were gonna bringing hi- on more. We're gonna hire hire Ryan Hughes uh, as a secondary guy. You're gonna work for Ryan Hughes, and you know you can be his guy because I owe you because I screwed you at Chaparral and I've always you know we've always been friends and I owe you. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I remember saying, Larry, can I tell KTM like I'm done? He's like, yeah, yeah, tell him you're done. And I'm like, okay, so Ron Heben comes in as manager at KTM. <laughs> Heben and I meet, and I basically tell Ron Heben like. 
this place is a shit show. I'm out of here. Like, I'm leaving. He's just like, okay, like, I don't, you know, all right. <laughs> yeah, and so that that was Steel City coming up that weekend when we were having yeah. meetings. Yeah. Rhino goes to Steel City and endos his brains out on a factory Honda four-stroke and effectively ru- ruins his career right oh. there. He never races really again. So Well, he did the outdoors, didn't he? Oh, yeah, he comes back for KTM. You're yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. But, so he was off for a year, though. I think. Yeah, but it was pretty yeah, early. Was pretty he bad. wasn't supposed to race again. No. So I'm like, oh, shit. Hey, Larry, what about Rhino? He's like, oh. no, I'm going to hire Nick Way. Don't worry. You're good. And I'm like, okay. So doesn't hire Nick Way. It all falls apart. Ugh. And then I go back to KTM. Brooks is like, dude, sorry. Oh, oh I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. At this point, yeah. I, I don't think you ever want to work with Brooks Yeah, again. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. Sorry, great. <laughs> I call Ron Heben up. Hey, man, things have changed. Can I come back? <laughs> Heben, to his credit, goes, yeah, no, you can't come back. And I'm like, okay. So now I'm out of a job again. Is, it, is this where you learn don't burn bridges? Right. Worked at KTM for two years, factory KTM, and uh, and now I was out. And I couldn't get hired with Brooks's team. They eventually hired Ryan Morris. But I was long gone by then. Oh, I was out of the picture by then. And I'm like, thanks, Brooks. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, but Nick Way never got the ride either. And Nick Way and Kelly Smith knew each other. I knew Nick, you know, for the Michigan thing. Yeah. So Nick gets a ride with Triple X. I'm like, Nick, you didn't get – you got fucked – I got fucked. Let's get fucked together and be a mechanic. <laughs> Let's be a mechanic rider. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And so he's just like, all right. So I meet Nick Way and Moto Triple X, box fan and the whole deal. And, and, and I get a, and I finally, I moved from San Diego to Anaheim. Because, uh, I, yeah, I had an apartment now. In, in 2000, I got an apartment. Like, I got a real place. Dude, high life. Like, yeah. Like, a, I had a futon and I had a, <laughs> and I had a wooden uh, nightstand from Ikea or from, uh, yeah, from Ikea. So I was styled. But, um. I had an Aerostar. I was driving an Aerostar then, back then. Um, so yeah, that's and then that then that, that year in '02, Nick kills it. Top privateer in Supercross. So again, it, I top privateer in '99 with Timmy. Top privateer in '02 with Nick. Like I felt like, and I mean, and and like people need to understand, like it was just, and I'm not tooting my own horn here, but it's just the mechanic. I'm jetting the thing. I'm making suspension adjustments. I'm shipping suspension off. I'm sometimes changing Nick's suspension oil during the week. I'm splitting the motor. I'm buying groceries. I'm washing the box fan. I'm jetting. You know, I'm doing all this as a mechanic because there was no teams. You well, know and, what I mean? And so. you guys talked. I mean, you're also his his ear. Yeah. You're, oh, yeah. you're babysitting this guy who yeah. – and racers, we all know, racers are up, down. It's stressful. Yeah. Yep. you got to deal with all that. So you're a psychologist yeah. too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're doing all of that, right? So Nick has a great ear. Out indoors, outdoors he gets hurt, misses three nationals with a knee, but then comes back and runs top ten. I remember Washugal, O2 Washugal, Triple X goes second with Larry Ward, third with Kyle Lewis, fourth with Nick. Nick gets fourth or fifth. Like our three guys were like top five, and we're out of a friggin' van. We I lost a box van by the nationals. I wasn't a box van anymore. We were in a straight truck now, but in Supercross I was in a box van. And then I was just like, look at our shitty ass team. You know, it was me, Alan Brown. It was a guy named Doug from Canada. We were all from Canada and uh, working for Larry, Kyle, and Nick Way. And we were killing it. Like, Kyle Outdoors was getting every hole shot, you know, on a CRF, Road Triple X CRF bike. So so that was like a transition between box van to the Triple X yeah, semi? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, Alan took charge of Triple X maybe a year or two later down the road. Um, and then that, and then so I'm getting. I'm getting swing arms and frames and stuff from Steve Butler at Yamaha for Nick mm-hmm. just because we're a great Yamaha representative and doing well. So I'm starting to meet them and everything else. And then – and No, uh, 
you guys got to pick whatever bike you wanted to ride on that team back then, right? Yeah. Like whatever yeah, brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Nick got Yamaha support. So that was, yeah, that was it. But um, he chose that. Like, yes. He could have done whatever. And Larry rode Yamahas and Kyle rode a Honda. Yes. We were all supposed to ride Yamahas and then Lewis somehow picked up a Honda ride and said, screw you to everybody. And we're like, what? Huh? Anyways. Um, so, yeah. And then I'm with Pookie. Pookie and I, she comes to Steel City that year in 02, the last national. And we're, I think we're back in Michigan after Steel City, maybe Monday or Tuesday, and Jimmy Perry calls, phone rings. I'm at, I'm at Chi-Chi's Mexican restaurant in Michigan hey, with Pookie. There's a moment because yes. you remember it. Yes, yes, yes. And Jimmy Perry calls and says, this is Jimmy Perry. How would you like to come work for Tim Ferry at Yamaha? And Timmy and I had obviously been friends in 99. He went to Yamaha. There was never any openings, but he, I remember him telling me, like, if I get a chance to bring you in, I'll bring you in. You know, I'm like, really? Okay. Kind of didn't think much about it. Three- yeah, you've been burned so many times yeah, yeah, at this yeah. point. You're just like, okay. Three years later, his guy leaves. They say, hey, do you want? They want Paul Delorier. Yamaha wants Paul Delorier, who's also a buddy of mine and everything else. Timmy wants me, fights for me, and I get the factory Yamaha job. Hence the loyalty, lifelong loyalty to Timmy. A little bit, yeah. Dude, that, Although hey, he, he that's was, good. he was one of the shittier guys I ever had with bonus, bonus payments, but... Whatever. But he yes. gave you your break. Yes. Yes, I mean, there's there's a certain there's he something did. to he that. He did. Yep, for sure. Wow. And then uh, you worked for them for a couple years. Timmy three, moves three on. Three years. Yep. Because of the wrist injury. Three years. Uh, at the end of '05, they said, "Hey, we're going to keep you on. You got to work for Heath Voss." I'm like, <laughs> I'm out. I said, you know, like, I wasn't like, look, at Yamaha, we were build build our own motors, not doing the mods to them, but disassembling and assembling our own motors. We were test bike guys. We all, everybody had a test bike. Chad was there, Villeman, Ferry. All three years we were there. We had very little help compared to other guys. We did our own tires at the races, not mooses, but when they had tubes, we changed our own tires. And I was looking around other factory teams with all these helpers and motor guys, and I'm like, we, what are we doing? I was working a ton. And because when Timmy would get hurt, I'd just go and work for Chad as a yeah. test bike guy or a test guy or whatever. And not making any money. Like, I remember. I made $42,000 my first year at Factor Yamaha after, and I was employees, so you got your taxes out of that and everything. And I was, I'm just like, I could barely afford anything. They're based in Orange County. So oh. I had to buy an apartment there, get an apartment there with Pookie and everything. And I remember like, just like, what am I doing? I'm not making any money. Like I, I can barely get by with what I'm doing. And Timmy wasn't really bonusing me out. Oh, three was a good year for him. He made a lot of podiums, but oh, four or five wrist injuries and nothing, not oh. many results. So, like I remember thinking, like my God, I'm Factory Yamaha. This is the you know this is where Glover and Hannah and Keith McCarty and uh, I'm Factory Yamaha and I'm miserable. Like was, I'm miserable. Was it hard because you had the other mechanics that were working for those guys? Was Chad bonusing out his guys? Was yeah, yeah. Was yeah, DV Ch- bonusing yeah. out? I don't know about you- DV was, but but Chad was. Chad was taking his care of his guys. Which I mean, again, it's not all about money and everything. No, but but dude, when you are working so much. And again, barely bringing home, you know, 42. I, I remember they gave me a race of like 43 and a half. I'm like, thanks. That went $1,500. Thanks. You know, like it just, I was working so much and I didn't mind working so much because that's part of the gig. But then it becomes at some point you're like, what am I doing? But when you look right to the guy in the stall next to you getting bonused out, that's got to be tough. Yeah. I, I don't, I know the one year Chad gave money to everybody on the team but me. What? Yeah. Because him and I didn't get along because he was a dick. Back then, I've heard I've heard oh, a lot of he that was. about him. He was. I've heard I've heard a lot of different. He was stories. very demanding, and he was and he was a bit of a dick, and I would call him out on it. I and that's different I, now. How? Nah, I'm just kidding. No, 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 he's he's, 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 he's gotten yep. everyone's yep. gotten older. Yep, but, yeah. for sure. Um, 
But yeah, when he was 20, I mean, he's 22, 23 years old. He's the best rider in the world. Or with Ricky Carmichael, maybe the number number, number two rider in the world. And he's making millions that people change. You yeah. know, him well, and Ellie went he through came a lot. over here with a chip on his shoulder. Cause yeah. I remember the first time I ever heard of him was in Australia. Pastrana went over there and some dude named Reed beat him. And oh, I was yeah. like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of what yeah. got him yeah. the, the Troy ride. And well, I remember there. him at Bercy, you know, Cowie parking McGrath. Yeah. Before he came over to Yamaha Troy, he yeah. parked McGrath at Bercy. And we were like, what? Nobody parks no. McGrath. Anyways, uh, so he changed a lot. Ellie changed a lot. I can't blame him. They were kids, and they got millions and millions of dollars coming in, and he was killing it. And I just wasn't having – like, you can work me to the bone. You can do whatever you want, but give me some respect. And he wasn't giving anybody on the team a lot of respect, and I just wasn't having it. So we got into a few shouting matches, and, you know, I just wasn't having it. Yeah, you just can't do that with bro, the star riders. I'm here. I'm here for, <clears throat> for 15 hours working on your shit. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. Anyway, so so we weren't getting along, but uh, the bonus thing didn't bug me because that was their bonuses. That was rookies' bonuses or Dave Die the first year. So that part, I just want my own deal, and I'm like, I'm working at Yamaha, and I'm like not happy. Like I'm not getting anywhere, and I cannot believe I'm at Factory Yamaha and miserable. So when you're miserable at Yamaha, now are you are you planning to go to media? Where do you go from there? Like how do how do you go from Factory Yamaha to King of All Media? Let's let's make that transition because, well, dude, okay, I I always. When I was a real little kid, I would type stories, superhero stories, on a typewriter. Like, really? Yes. Wow. I've always loved reading. I read all of Stephen King books. I've read so many sports autobiographies it would make your head spin. Always loved reading. Always been into stories. Always been well-read, let's say. And, which, and, is, which is strange for a motocross kid. Yeah, yeah, when yeah, I got out yeah. of high school, dude, I could barely read. Right, right, right. And, and, the, and even now, when I see emails from like very important people, yeah. and I'm like, oh, my God. Anyways, so keeping that in mind, I always took English in, in I always took uh, journalism and English, you know, the semesters and stuff, um, the courses, the secondary courses. So always been into that, always read every mag- motocross magazine ever, you know, always been into that part of it. At, at, oh, in KTM in 01 and 00, when Kelly Smith and I were winning the four-stroke nationals, I would make up fake PRs and send them out to the whole race team about, because I was back east with Kelly. I would make fake PRs about domination of the four-stroke nationals and on a finely tuned KTM, Steve Mathis prepped, <laughs> Kelly Smith dominated the competition. So, and they loved it back at the shop because, you know, I mean, it was like Clark, oh, it was like Clark Styles. And so I had a flair, Alabama slammer. a quote unquote flair for writing, let's say. Yeah. It goes back to my superhero stories when I was a kid, yeah. I think, typing these superhero stories. And they would just run on sentences, but whatever. I had imagination, right? Well, and that's, he's getting the imagination yeah. out. Yeah. And so... And then in 02, nickway.com, there's these guys called the VRM guys that held websites for everybody. They started websites for all these riders. First ever websites. Yeah, I remember. And all the riders signed up for them. And uh, so I would write, they're still on, you can find them, by the way, nickway behind the board. Uh, they're still online. I would write a weekly blog about what I've been doing in a box fan and like all the Nick's results and me driving a box fan around. So I was doing this blog, you know, for the. I had a little laptop or whatever. So that was, you know, media stuff, right? Yeah. And, and um and then I started doing more and more and I remember talking to Maeda, Don Maeda, who I knew forever before Davey. I remember talking to Davey and being like, Can I do anything? And they were just like, Nah, whatever, like greaseball mechanic, like whatever. Um, but I always was into it. And so then I left Yamaha. They said you can work for Voss. I said, No, I'm not. 
and I left, and I got a job at Parts Unlimited, Lou Lopez, who I used to live with back in 99, one of those times where I had no addresses. <laughs> I lived with Lou and Sherry in Ontario, California. He was a Sunstar guy. Uh, and um, Lou looked, Lou was now a high up at Parts Unlimited, and I had said, hey, I want to get out of this mechanicing thing. He found me a job as an FMF brand manager. And I was so I was doing that for the year 2006, and that's when I moved to Vegas. We had to buy a house, so I wanted to live here. I, we, we, we wanted a nice house. And we Is that when I saw you at the Tucker meeting for Merge Racing? That would have been 07, okay. after the parts. Oh, is that, is that what you saw me there? Yeah. Okay. And then I was, in Dallas? I was, in Dallas? Yeah, because yeah. I was riding. I would, I would go out and ride Carrie Supercross track once in a while because I was still trying to live the dream a little bit. Oh, yeah. Did you tell Carrie that I was riding it? No. Oh, because he called me all pissed off like oh. I broke into his track. I'm like, it wasn't me. It was Partridge. Oh, was it? Yeah, 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 yeah I don't remember. But no. I wasn't sure if that was you. Okay, no, never mind. No. Um, so, but then I started doing stuff for, I couldn't get in, I couldn't get anything published in America, really. Nobody really knew who I was, but I, I knew I enjoyed doing it. I had the imagination. I had the the, no, the wherewithal. I had the knowledge, I thought, to write pretty good, uh, pretty well, pretty good. Um, and, uh, but RacerX Canada started around that time. And those guys, I didn't know those guys because I was I long those. gone from Canada. I didn't know those guys. I knew what, I knew one guy a little bit, but me being Canadian and being in America, they were like, cool, yeah, write whatever you want. You know what I mean? Like, go ahead. So they hired me, and I was still doing the, the Parts Unlimited thing, but I was now, now I was in the writing and writing on their website, writing in their magazine, everything else, and, and now that got me going. And then at some point, Davey just said to those guys, hey, I'm taking Mathis. Like, I'm just taking him. Well, I remember reading your Canada stuff and, and just going like, Damn, that's good. Yeah. That's better than yeah. the stuff I read. That, that was the observation stuff. that I started the observations good. column back then, and I was I was real harsh. I was harsher than I am now, that's for sure. I was going to say, so much better than yeah, now. I'm no, just kidding. <laughs> I had NFG back then for sure. Um, well, and you kind of you, – and I, and I was get fresher, that too. You have to I, do that at and first. And I was fresher out of the industry out – of, out, of, out of the pits. So I also had – and I've noticed this now. I'm now a media guy to everybody, right? I'm yep. not a mechanic. Those days are long gone. But when I was fresh out of it, I could still talk to – managers mechanics riders them not really know that i was a media guy and then i would turn around and spill secrets and rumors not not comfort not stuff they would you know not i wouldn't blast them out by name but i knew a lot more what was going on i still know a lot but not as much back then i felt like i got a lot of information that i put out in the public because i'm like who the fuck cares like it's sources like i'm not going to blow out that mechanic for telling me that but i'll put sources say this guy's going to test this bike so I had a lot more, I felt, scoops back then than I do now because now I'm a media guy. Now it's like, shut up, Matt, this is around. You know? But back then, I felt like, shit, man, I can get these guys to tell me anything. You know what I mean? Like, well, far yeah. what's going on. So, <laughs> so that was really helping me. You know what I mean? And then at some point, Davey just told the RacerX Canada guys, hey, I- I'm taking Mathis. I'm just, he's going to work for RacerX now. Yeah, I'm sure he and spotted that. The FMF thing, the Parts Unlimited brand manager thing came to an end at the end of one year. Uh, that was a program where FMF paid half my salary and parts paid half my salary. Well, you know, because WPS is brand managers, but it wasn't really working out because FMF was distributed by everybody and parts had no flexibility. So I would go into a dealer as the FMF representative and you yeah, know Thank this. you for selling that for me. Yeah, pretty much. I would, I would give them the whole spiel. I bought a $300 foam case yep. to travel with. I would go the whole spiel about FMF and I'd be like, they, they would tell me, Thank you. I can get a five dollars cheaper at WPS, or Tucker will will give me better yeah. terms. I, I was with Tucker, and I sure. remember, and then, yeah, I would yeah. come in and and, and and so everyone was buying FMF from other distributors because mm-hmm. one thing I learned about dealers over the years is they'll slit their mom's throat for five dollars, like five, two, like twenty five cents, yeah. dude. It's, so it's, it's, it's crazy. so I wasn't making any sales, like, and then I would go to FMF and say, hey, 
I got this dealer in in Jack Hole, Wyoming. Can I put five mufflers on his wall, and then at six months, if he he'll ship the ones back that he doesn't sell or whatever, you know what I mean? And they were just like, no. And I'm like, okay, so what can I do? Not really anything, because parts wouldn't allow you to do anything, and then FMF guys didn't want to upset WPS or Tucker. So I was a guy that was not really doing much, um, but I didn't. But parts treated me right; they paid me well. Um, you know, I liked everybody there. But at the end of the year, they said, "Hey, this isn't working out." And I said, "Yeah, no shit." <laughs> but they said you can do Cobra exhaust, which is street bike stuff, right? Yeah. And I'm like, dude, I am not doing Cobra stuff. Like, I was still going to the races then because they had the dealer showcases on Friday nights. Yeah. So I was still going to races. So I was riding, going to races, hanging out, working for parts. And then, um, dude, they- that's a key moment. What you did right there, where you stayed with your core, what you like. Some people just take the money and stay with yeah, the job. Yeah, and you I was, did, and that, that like I'm noticing a pattern of that all the way through. That's what you do. That's that's what's probably been your key, man. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Um, and then I was just like, hey, I'm I'm leaving, and they're like, okay, cool. And then sometime later they said, well, why didn't you just do the moose job? We had a moose gear rep, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you guys didn't tell me that. And they said, yes, we did. And I said, no, you didn't. So I don't know. Anyways, then I went for merge racing. From Michael Holligan. He yep. hired me to do merge racing stuff. Jim Lewis was there. They, they had adjustable leak jets. That's preload uh preload um spacers uh, for the shock springs. Um Yeah, and I asked you about those for supercross and you're like, What? Yeah. You don't ride that track. I I live there. I'm like, Yeah, I do, dude. Oh, okay. I don't remember that. I'm surprised, <laughs> it was I'm funny. surprised you remember that. I do, because so, I was like, dude, what? I had a one year deal with Michael Holligan and after six months he calls me and says, Hey, we're letting you go. And I'm like <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, I did get some orders done, and I was oh. spreading the word and helping out with race teams. Yeah. Now we're done. I'm like, but I have a contract. Yeah, we're done. And I'm just like, <laughs> wow, okay. I didn't know this could happen like this, but I was out of a job. And at that point, I I, uh, I got serious with the journalism stuff. And again, though, like. Okay, so now him doing that, did that force you to kind of look at it and go, okay, now it's it's put up or shut up with this journalism stuff. Like, I yeah, have to bit. do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a little and bit. Do you, do you think that. Might be part of your success again. No plan B. Because uh, you had a plan B until that yeah. happened. Yeah. Well, again, okay. So then I'm like, hey, Pookie, like, this, this guy screwed me out of the last six months of our contract, and but I want to keep doing this journalism stuff. So I got to keep going to the races. This is 06. Uh, 06. No, 07. I still want to go to the races, though. And, you know, you got to beat the races to write about the races and talk about the races, right? I think right around the, now I'd started the podcast at RacerX Canada, like just a one on one podcast, not the Pulp Show. And, uh, yeah, so I was going to the races, not getting paid much from the media stuff, trying to collect what I could here and there, doing some overseas stuff. At one point, our American Express bill was $23,000. Oh, my God. The interest was 600 a month or whatever. Yeah. You know, But I had to go to the races. So we were barely getting by. And I'm like, ah, let's hope that this pays off. And eventually did, of course. We no longer have a $23,000 balance on our American Express but at some point, I was like, holy shit, like, this thing is to pay off fast. You know what I mean? So, Wow. That's pushing the chips all in. Yeah, pretty much. So how did – now, what's the beginning of Pulp? Where, where did Pulp come into the – so you're doing the podcast with Do, Racer X. Doing Racer X Canada podcast. And, and you got clipped from Racer X at one point. Yeah, that, that's what made me start Pulp. I was doing Racer X. Everything was going. Brian Staley was my boss. Davey was all, the ultimate boss. And uh, I was doing Racer my, – myself and Wygant were getting along really well because I used to read this blog ant that he did, and it was hilarious, this flagger guy. <laughs> and so I knew I liked Jason, and we always we hit it off right away, and what Weege and I did. And I was working at Racer X. I think I was making 30 as a part-time contributor guy. 
And then I was getting a little bit of money from the podcast end of things. And then at the end of whatever year that was, 08, they said, hey, we got to let you go. And I'm like, what? Like, you guys like me. I like you guys. What? And they're like, yeah. They just bought the Nationals, I think, by then. They acquired the Nationals. MX Sports did. Okay. Now, when they when they acquired the Nationals, did they how's that, how does that break down? Do you know how that breaks no, down with DMG I, or anything? No they, they just keep you... I think they just write a check to DMG and they run the Nationals. And whatever they get to keep, they well, keep, you know. Do you know if that's still the way it is? I think so. Yep. Huh, I believe okay. so. Yep. Um, so they said, you're clipped. And I'm just like, dude, like, and seriously, people who are listening to this, like, go back and listen to how many times, like, I got clipped from things. Like, a lot. Like, like, yeah, where you're like, theme. where you're like, you kind of get screwed. Like, you're just like, fuck. But, but you just keep getting going back. But back, you just so keep then getting tra- up again. Then Transworld hires me. And uh, I, do, I work there for a year. And then Racer X hires me back. How did that go down? For $10,000 more a year. So I was stoked on that. So you, did you not have hard feelings? Or at this point, you're just so used to getting clipped. It's like, ah, whatever. Yeah, I mean, they told they were cool about clipping me. They're like, hey, sorry. We got this and this and this. And we just can't. We, can, we want to keep you, but we want to pay you per story. And I said, can you guarantee me anything? They said, no. And I said, I'm not doing that then. So then Don Maeda, who I had known forever, said, hey, I'll hire you at Transworld. So I went over to Transworld for more money. And then, uh, and then got... And at the end of Transworld year, Racer X came calling, and I told Don, I'm like, how are we looking? And he said, yeah, I don't, you, you know, I don't know if I can renew your deal. And I said, well, Racer X is offering me something. He's oh, just take that. So he was cool. Racer yeah. X was cool. Yeah, it was all good, you know. I never shit-talked Racer X at that one year at Transworld. You know what I mean? I never was like, ah, oh, fuck those guys. Like You learned that from the KTM deal. Yeah, really, right? So they brought me back, and I've been there ever since. So I've been at Racer X since 2006, except for one year. <laughs> so 13 years so but 12 years but 13 you, years total when you come back to racer x yeah you got pulp yeah so you realize okay, you got to do so your wait, own thing yeah, yeah, yeah. To... i'm sorry that's what the original question was yeah i got clipped at racer x and i'm like holy shit i was doing a great job everyone loved my stuff everyone told me it was great and i still got clipped i can't have that happen anymore like i need to be in control of my own destiny so I have a lot of things that, you know, Racer X isn't going to run a 4,000-word column on Rollerball, but I want to write that. Yeah. So Or things like that or whatever. And so I started Pulp MX like, as a build-your-own web. I got a guy to build it for me, a Canadian guy that built it for me real basic. And that was the start of Pulp MX. And I'm like, I'm putting all my stuff that doesn't fit anywhere over here. And if you need to read my stuff, you can go here. And I just need to be in control of my own thing if shit goes sideways again. You know what I mean? Like, that, yeah. was my, that was my whole thing. Like, I can't believe I got let go from Racer X. Like, I can't believe it. But shit happens. But now, fuck that. I'm going to start my own thing. And, and, and that, that way, no matter what, I can grow this thing. And then, now, I, that was a, at first it was just a website. Yes. And, and yes. it's funny, the first time I ever saw your website, somebody hit me up because you had a picture from the Race of Champions in 90, and I'm like, that's me. Oh, really? Yeah. That's a, yeah, because I lost that picture because it was in Dirt Rider or something. And uh, somehow yeah, yeah. you got it. Was well, if it was n- you did a you did a quiz the name of the riders. On oh, the did show. I? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, in ninety. That's what I. Oh. That's what I. You did know the what? I think I did that because Pat Donahoe would have been in there from Minnesota. Yep. And I raced against him. Yeah. All the time, and he looked like he was twelve years old. So. Yeah, and Cal Nowicki was in there too. Oh well, maybe that was why I did it. But yeah. I knew a couple guys in there. So and Fernet yeah. got to do it too. That year that he won the Canadian Championship in eighty-seven, he got to do it, go do it too. Okay. So anyways, um, so yeah, that's how I started. And th- so yeah, I would scan those magazines behind you and make funny articles and I would put Basset Hounds in there. They were good. And I would write about whatever I wanted to do, rollerball and all this stuff. 
And I was just like, I'm going to keep this up. And then, of course, I was doing the podcasting by then. You know, I was starting the podcasting with so, Racer's Canada, guys. And, then, and so when did when does Paul Lindsay come to you and say, hey, let's do the show out of Vegas? Because um, DMX is doing their thing. DMX and they're, they're, they're pretty much thing. it. And they're then, it. But I honestly, I bet you I listened to one or two episodes of DMXS. That well, yeah, it. this is I, totally they, different. I like David. I like Kelly. I like Kevin. Those guys aren't my type of humor. I didn't really get what they're... I didn't want to talk to the writers about pooping and peeing and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I No offense to those guys. And if you like it, you like it. No, it, 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 it's me, really good in a, in a different way. For me, that was not what I wanted to hear, the writers and all this stuff. So uh, I was telling Paul Lindsay, I want to start this live show. Like, I want to... Obviously, Pookie loves Howard Stern and all that kind of stuff. I want to start a live show that's a little bit morning radio, a little bit Howard Sternish uh, about Moto. And he was like, I got the same idea, dude. Like, I want to do the same thing. I'm like, well, we should combine forces. And then, you know, I had all the equipment in Vegas already because I was doing podcasting. So he was like, well, I'll fly to Vegas. We'll do this. We'll, we call it the Moto Show. The first things were called the Moto Show. The first four or five episodes was called the Moto Show. And so... And that was a lot of trial and error, yeah. But didn't you race? Didn't I remember seeing those? weren't they on Racer X? Or you did you get Davy to promote it? Or how did that? I might go? have got Davy to promote it. Yeah, yeah. Just a, just a breaking news or something. You know what I mean? So yeah, it was it was it was one of those things. So, um, but then I, I like Paul, but I quickly realized this wasn't going to work. <laughs> Paul Paul was flying from Denver to Vegas. We had a sponsor that he said was committed for six months. Moto World. Yeah. They were only lasted three shows before they're like, they told us we're not seeing any return from this. I'm like, it's been three shows, Paul. Yeah. Three shows. Nobody's going to see it in three right. shows. Right. So they bailed. We had no money. Paul was, we were paying a plane, flight, plane flights for Paul. He was being way more of a nice guy than I wanted. Like, I wanted the morning radio thing. I wanted a little more edgy. I wanted to, Paul was very corporate, very company I remember. Man. It felt and, like every time it was a job interview, he was talking yeah, to his people. Yeah, and he, and he kept saying, I love this guy. I love that guy. And I'm like, ah. So we didn't gel right away, and it wasn't really what I wanted. And then Watson came in, studio. Well, and I heard he had some personal issues, too, where he was gambling and doing some stuff that oh. he shouldn't have been coming out to Vegas all the time. I oh, know, I didn't Paul hear that. Lindsay. I did not hear that. I could so, be wrong. Yeah, right? yeah. Don't quote me on that. That's I don't know. I'm just... I didn't hear that. I didn't know that. But anyways, uh, he was a nice guy, but we were not gelling. And I remember literally after show one, he leaves, and I'm telling Pookie, this isn't good. It's not good. Like, it's not a good show. The Red Bull. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, so. But then Kenny Watson, the great Kenny Watson comes in because uh, he's living in Vegas. It's Hart yep. Huntington and everything. He comes in, and he's I've known Kenny forever, right? And, <laughs> and he's jabbing Paul, and he's being Kenny. And I'm like, now this is is what we can work with. This character named yes. Kenny Watson. This and Kenny's always been the most unique guy, you know, in the industry. Good and bad. Not always good. Polarizing. Polarizing. I'm like, this can work. And then at some point, Paul, I think, kind of I was like, hey Paul, Kenny's coming back in. And Paul's like, you know, giving me a side eye. I'm like, yeah, but listen, we gotta entertain people. We can't have just two guys droning on or whatever. So we gotta entertain people. So Watson came in. Kent, Paul wanted to quit. We had no money anyways coming in. Paul quit because Motor World dropped out. And Paul wanted them. We bought some equipment with some of the initial money. And Paul said, you keep the equipment. I want the name. And I said, cool, because I was going <laughs> I I like to call it. I want to call Pulp Mech Show anyways. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't want to call the Motor Show. So he kept the name, and I got the equipment. Not all of it, but a little bit. We didn't. I had some of the stuff. Enough. But, and then Watson became co-host. And then it took off. Watson got us. Watson got us. I said, Kenny, we need some money. 
like server bills and, and everything else. Like we, we got to get paid. And Kenny got us $3,000 in a week because he's Kenny. Dude, he's, yeah, that's, he's, and, and that's a that, skill. And, and then that was it. So we had we had the Racer's Edge on, T-E-R-E, up in Simi Valley. We had Gibbs. I think he got 1000 bucks from Gibbs. Joel Gibbs, or Coy Gibbs. Oh, I, thought you meant, I thought you made your producer Gibbs. No, like, no, Gibbs no, no, just no. Paid? From, no. From Coy. Oh, wow. To promote JGR Motor stuff. Yeah, I remember that. They and, were doing And the then store. TRE, and then somebody else, and then we were off. That was it. We had $3,000, and, and then and then I started going to the races, and hearing people say, did Kenny say that? And I'll be like, oh, we got something now. Like, yeah. now, we, now we're onto something, because Kenny would be Kenny. And I was not scared either. And, uh... And then we started gaining traction, like in, in the uh, in the pits, and I'm like, okay, we got something now. Now we have this dream of, you know, whatever. So, At what- I think. Sorry to interrupt you. I oh. think I've been good. My whole media career, and this is, and I was just telling Pookie about this the other day. I think I can pick out people who are entertaining or people who are interesting, and and I can also pick out. I and I also. And I've had people tell me this. I've met people in industry, and you know that the industry is not always full of good people. Yeah. I've met people in industry and been like, you're a D-bag. And then, yeah. and I'll, and then I'll tell somebody like, hey, I think that guy's kind of a D-bag. And then they'll be like, no, 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 he's cool. And then that guy will turn out to be a D-bag. And I'll, they'll be like, hey, Mathis, you were right. And I don't know. I'm not saying I'm like, uh, I see dead people, little kid, on Sixth Sense. I'm not that way. But I think I have... And I'm not always right. Don't get me wrong. I'm not batting a thousand here, but I do think I have an innate ability to determine someone's character slash uh, interesting uh, personality. People. I don't know. How that, I don't know. It's, the word. Uh, but but so you know, Watson found Watson right. Found the seven deuce deuce. Find these guys that you're like Phil. Phil, you're like I can work with this guy, and I've and a fine co-host Kiefer. You know, I'm like, hey, Chris is pretty cool. Like, let's get him back up here, you know, or or uh, any of these guys. I'm like, yeah, let's – you're somebody here that could help me do a good show. And consequently, there's some people in the pits that I'm like, you're a douchebag, and then I don't <laughs> ever want to talk to you again. But I've had that ability. I do think I have that skill. It's it, And it's an extremely valuable skill that you probably had to hone through sleeping in. Yeah. And, and you honed it all the way through. And it's not like that's something that just developed. Yeah, I think you and, meet enough people, right, during, yes. during, during the ups and downs of, and your, in, of your grind? And in college, I, I feel like I kind of had that skill too. And I can tell, and I don't know how, and I can't tell you even why, but I'll look at somebody and be like, Dude, I don't. I, you just get yeah. like all your your spidey senses go off. You yeah, go, I don't trust yeah. that guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. I think I think so. And there's been a few guys in the pits like that over the years. And I'm not always right. You know, you strike out on some people. One of the guys yeah, I think it's I pretty stru- solid. If you one trust of the guys, your gut, it's one pretty of the guys solid. I think I struck out on is Myrtle, like Lucas Myrtle. I I didn't like him. I know he worked with the Jeff Ward team when he got that going. There were some things shady things on there, and I didn't like Myrtle. And he's an agent, so I still have one. I still have one ear kind of open as far as like, hey, he's could be using me. Yeah. You know, but. He told me about the Jeff Ward thing. He told me what had happened. He admitted that there were things that went south that he didn't handle really well. And I'd like to think we're friends now. And I was kind of wrong about him. But there's an example of a guy that I was wrong with. Um, is he perfect? No. But, but you know, he's a guy that I think I, w- I was initially off on. But there's been many other guys that I'm like, that guy's a douchebag. And then they turned out to be douchebag. Well, a lot of the things that I look at, too, when people are, if they seem so perfect, nobody's perfect. If, you, right. if I can't yeah. see some of your flaws, right. what are you hiding? And it, it trips me out. Or... You run around telling everybody how smart you are. That's, that the, that's the dumbest yeah. guy in the room. Right. Yeah. All right. Um, 
So do you ever wonder? Do you Has ever this been w- interesting for you, dude? Uh, yes. Okay. How about you? Uh, yeah. It's been fun. Yeah. It's, it's, I feel like I'm. I feel like I've told this stuff before, but that's fine. I don't care. I, it, it's all tied in at once. I don't yeah. think you've ever told it all at once sure. in a timeline. Yep. So. Do you ever think back and, and think about your childhood, and I do this a lot, and I probably yep. shouldn't, and it's probably not healthy, to look back and say, okay, if my bike doesn't bog here and I don't get hurt and I win this race, what happens? Because I was racing Gaddis and broke my arms. Do you ever wonder what you could have been? Um, do you think you could have no, made it with no, a couple with a couple no, breaks? No, I don't. I don't. I was never – like I told you, I was only good because I grinded out. I rode a ton, and I grinded out, and I was tough, and, and I never had – skill on a motorcycle as far as like a lot of skill like so no i i don't think about that i i just i I mean i think too many people i think too many people um think too much about that and and then they get haunted by it like and then maybe that's where yeah like like i just like it is what it is man and like even pookie will tell you that now like we'll have some some big issue with our relationship or life itself or her parents or my parents or you know some life issue that comes up and she's always like, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? And I'm like, it's done. It's over. It's, we got to move on. Like we got to figure out how to move on. This event happened. There's no sense reliving this thing. What do we got to do to fix it? What do we got to do to, to live with this? You know what I mean? Like that's always been my attitude. Like if you go back and think about that stuff, it'll kill you. You know what I mean? Like, like, sure. There's some moments like you know, like I wish I hadn't told Ron Heben to pound sand and KTM sucks, <laughs> but you know, whatever, like that's no big deal. It is what it is. You live, you live in the future and you live in the, you live in the future. What, what can I do in the future to prevent this issue or, or fix this issue? And that's it. So no, I never think about like what, how, you know, how I could have made it as a dirt biker. Like no way. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so none of that. Um, but I just, I just, this is such a fucking cliche. It's such a cliche, but it is true. Like you gotta want it. How bad do you want it? That no, that stupid no fear poster, dude. It's true. And um, the universe. How many times, dude? I don't know anyone. I don't know that I've ever met anyone that's been fired as much as you have been. Like, <laughs> well, even like, so we got the hockey game on here, right? Yeah, and we're, it's in the background. I've got some buddies that made it to the NHL or they made it to high level hockey, uh, the minors or whatever. Mm-hmm. A few of them. We're never even probably in the top 10 most talented guys on their team. They never gave up. They didn't party. They didn't meet a chick. They didn't give up on the dream. They just put their head down and kept playing the game. And they got to be a professional hockey player. And they weren't like some, you know, gnarly Wayne Gretzky type of guy. You know what I mean? So just how bad do you want it? How bad did I want to be a mechanic? Bad. How bad did I want to be a media guy? Bad. And I made it. And, and, And whether it's that or whatever you can give up or you can just keep trying and, and that and I mean eventually something will happen where you know you can't try anymore so, you know <laughs> something some you know you'll knock up your chick you'll you'll you know you'll have an illness you'll have a family thing where you're just like hey I can't do it but but never give up Right? I'm, yeah. I don't, no, yeah. you're 100% uh, I mean, right. It's the way I look at it. And what? And listening to this, it's like you'd never give up. But you also didn't keep hitting your head against the same brick wall. You moved around it. You just you figured out yeah, a way. Yeah. You didn't You didn't yeah. have to do that. No. Uh, but, yeah, I agree. But I do want to finish this on, some, on a light note. Okay. Um, I got some, some silly questions that I think are kind of funny. Okay. Okay. Well, if you're in jail mm-hmm. and I go to JT and I say, you got to guess what he's in jail for. 
to get him out. What's JT going to say? Disturbing the peace. <laughs> you think they'd arrest you for that? Just get a ticket for that. I, I don't know, bro. <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know. Okay. If Pookie could change one thing about you, what would she change? Uh, probably adding more emotion into me. Because like I was saying with that, with whatever happens in your life, I'm just like moving on. Like I'm not going to. The I'm detachment. Not, yeah, I'm not going to spend time crying or thinking about that. I'm going to just move on. Well, do you think you got that so, from your dad and, and yeah, just the focus? Probably, just, probably. Because I but think the way I you think, just, I think she would like more emotion from me. Like more like, I'm like, eh. I'm like, everything's like, eh. And, and think about Kiefer. What does Kiefer say on the show? Like, or I don't know if he's, he must have said on the show. But he always just does this with his hand, uh, moving, just emotionless. Just, I'm just that <laughs> way. You know what I mean? Like, he's just like. He's like, oh, you're just like, after you have a great day, you're like, yeah, good. But I'm like, yes, but if I have a bad day, I'm like, eh, move on. Don't like, go too high, don't go right, too low. Right, right, But I think it goes back to your dad. And, dude, you couldn't survive with your dad being that way if you couldn't handle that. And I, yeah, I think yeah, it almost it yeah. almost built up like a tolerance. I, so. I think a lot of how we are as people, and this is for any walk of life, is how you were as a child. It's crazy, right? Yeah, it's really crazy. When Those... you really think about it, um, if you're if you're a bully – if you're weak, if you're funny, you know you're always a a, a, um, a, a, a version of your child, your child self. Yeah, and it's funny too because as a child, my brother's kind of a dick. He always kicked my ass. Yeah, I'm six foot four, two twenty. Yeah, I still feel like I have to fight everyone. Right, 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 right. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Okay, so twenty years. We're ne- we're uh, 2019. We're gonna go to 2039. Where are you, and what are you doing? And be serious. None of this whole I'm retiring stuff because you're going to be in this industry. I, I, don't, I don't know. What am I going to do? I'm going to be 60 years old by then. I'm not going to the pits. You don't think you'll be in do a I, suite? Do, you don't think do, you'll be running a team? What are you, what are do, you doing? Do I, do I, I don't know. You tell me. Yeah. Uh, d- does, the company, does the company hire me to be like a marketing guy? I don't know. This is the question I'm asking you. you yeah, I don't me. know. I don't know. I mean, I'm putting a lot of money away into, into retirement stuff. You know, I don't think you can ever have enough, but. Um, yeah. What, what do you do in retirement? What does Steve Mathis do in retirement? E-bike. <laughs> nonstop. Yeah, nonstop. I, I don't know. I don't know what we do. Yeah, I have no idea. Okay. Good. It's a good question. I I really don't know. I I don't. I don't want to just do this forever. I, I just don't. So. Well, and in your your whole life, you, you've never stayed with something. That's what's really good is you have evolved all the way through, and I'm sure yeah. it's going to be exciting to see where you evolve to next. Okay, one last thing about the sport. Final question. You found a genie. Yeah. And it says, guess what? Is it Will Smith? It could be. Yeah. Could be. Will Smith's giving you one question, or one one thing you can Will change. Will Smith as a genie. As a genie. Like in Aladdin. God, you got me all confused now. You know what Aladdin <laughs> yeah. is? He was yeah, a genie. Yeah, I do, I do. Yeah, oh, no, it was Robin Williams. I don't know. Anyway, Fuck. okay. Anyways. There's some jackass genie. <laughs> He's, he says, you know what, Steve? You can change one thing about the sport of motocross and supercross. That's it. One. No more, no less. What are you changing? I'm, I'm combining supercross and motocross into one organization and then having one like person run it, like having one person own it all. Hmm, I like it. So that that person can get the sport aligned, get everybody aligned, and make the right decisions because right now we have AMA and we have FIM and we have Feld and we have MX Sports and we got the OEMs and nobody fucking cares about the other side. They're all just self-serving to their own self. Nobody is looking out for the sport. Nobody looked out for the sport when they decided four-stroke limits were 550 cc's. 
nobody like thought of it. And so we've had a lack of foresight in our sport forever. And so to have, you know, now is a Bill France or a Bernie Ecclestone or a Gary Bettman in hockey or Roger Goodell, are they always perfect? Hell no. But I think I'll take that. I'll take the guy making the decisions over the monopoly. Monopoly is not the right word. Over the cornucopia of people we have now. So that's my that's my one wish. I like it. That's awesome. I, yeah. Heading into the electric generation, I think we need it, dude, because yeah. that's coming. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So thanks, man. I really appreciate yeah. it. This has been absolutely awesome. I think your listeners will enjoy it. I, I hope enjoyed so. it. Yeah. I'm a listener and I enjoyed it. So Well, that's all that matters, right? Uh yeah, I hope <laughs> people liked it. I don't know. It was a little bit of uh Yeah. I mean I didn't tell the same story, so that's good. I know. You a didn't lot. ask me about summer costs, which is great. Well, I'd I like to talk about I've it. Heard a lot, no, I've heard a lot of that stuff. I really wanted to know what made you tick. I, I never yeah. have heard you actually go deep. Right, right. Well, I went a little Joe Rogan on you. Okay. So. No, I, I hope you I hope you enjoyed it. I, I think uh, I think people, you know, yeah, they, they may not have heard everything at one spot or whatever, right? So, um, I'll come cool. back in 10, 20 years. We'll do it yeah, again. Yeah, there we go. Fly Racing Racer X Podcast with Chris Cooksey. Of course, I'm Steve Mathis. Thanks to Alpine Stars and Maxis as well. Thanks to you people for listening. And, uh, yeah, and please. Enjoy the show. Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as... The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. I was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Storbeck because that he never said sorry. Because Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunas. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And, and Magoo was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right, and right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't been there. The Hurricane, Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think yeah. he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern day guys in Switzerland or Poland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? Right. They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home. And once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse. I mean, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Go circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I had to pull 
fifth and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. Been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny Omar. Stuff that you could, you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it, you just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in, I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes Store to enjoy these and over 800 great motocross podcasts. As the days and the months and the years go on.